Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, kids. Uh, welcome to Just a Game. I am, of course, Rob Kerr. You know who you are. Thanks for being here. Uh, in a much better mood. I started Wednesday's show in a pissy mood. Today, I'm in a much better mood. Uh, however, I'm probably going to ruin your mood a little bit when I remind you uh, we spring ahead this this Saturday, Sunday morning. Yeah, so the clocks move ahead. So we're more, more daylight, less sleeping on Sunday. So I apologize for alienating some of our audience here. Uh, welcome to the Oodle Noodle Studio. Hey, we're not just crazy about noodles. We put the same energy back into the community. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie, pickup and delivery. Uh, we are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. And uh, by the way, we are allies. Everybody's welcome here. Uh, it's an all-exclusive and safe podcast. Uh, I put the, the tape back on just as a little reminder this week. Let's start there. Uh, we do have some great guests, including uh, one in studio um, and uh, one from California today, which will be a lot of fun. We're going to talk some basketball. We're going to talk some hockey. Uh, started off on a rant on Wednesday about the Minnesota Wild uh, not wearing their pride jerseys. Um, some of you, I, I, again, th- those who are in my camp are in my camp. Those who aren't in my camp aren't in my camp. Uh, some in the tin, tinfoil hat brigade, you can keep on yapping. That's fine. But it was nice to hear from some people who appreciated it. But I do have some follow-up to that. And it's uh, courtesy of The Athletic, who did some fantastic group reporting. So this is what we're learning uh, Ivan Provorov of the Philadelphia Flyers was kind of the first player in, in this story. Uh, refused to come out wearing a, a pride warm-up jersey for a Flyers game. He was identified right away. The rest of his teammates did, and they did all of their exercises. The New York Rangers were supposed to have a, a uh, pride night and have ward pride jerseys in the past. Refused to wear the pride jerseys this year. And then Minnesota had gone to the length of putting the uh, social posts up for uh, the auction for the jerseys that they were going to wear and warm up went all the way down the path and then yanked it at the last minute. Uh, again, with the lead of Mike Russo from the athletic, but all kinds of great reporters, what we're learning is there is a story brewing around the Russian player component of this Russian players seem at least some seem a little reluctant to participate. Uh, our uh, friend, I use that term very loosely, Mr. Putin put in some pretty egregious anti-gay laws in December and has threatened players and, and others who do anything to promote uh, 
you know, that lifestyle, as, as it were, in his words. Um, and as a result, you have some Russian players who don't want anything to do with it. Uh, Kaprizov, Kirill Kaprizov, who plays on Minnesota. You remember there was a lot of concern that he was not going to be let out of Russia to return to Minnesota this year. So, okay, fine. Uh, does not change the way I think, does not change the way I approach this subject. I think if this is true, again, the value of good reporting, uh, if this is true, maybe the NHL should be a little bit more upfront and transparent about this. Maybe we should have a dialogue about this. Maybe you should decide that you're not going to do this before you promote it and get sponsors and, and do all of that. Uh, I am still f- fairly critical of the teams. This is a very important subject for me. Uh, it's an important subject for every for everybody in my world. Uh, we are allies. Uh, it's important that particularly kids see themselves represented. Uh, all kids see themselves represented. So that's why it's an important story. Anyway, kudos to The Athletic for this reporting. That's where I'm going to leave it. Uh, I've said my piece. If you missed it, go back and listen to the front end of the Wednesday show. Um, th- there's no way that you can just scrub by it. You'll see me flailing my hands and all kinds of things. Um, we are now, uh, this is becoming a bit of a issue for me. We need a theme song for this show. Uh, it is clear. Uh, this, we just come in and here we are. We need a theme show. I'm going to begin working on that. Um, the local hockey heroes in action tonight against the uh, vaunted Anaheim Ducks. Ryan Getzlaff, Jean Sebastian Jaguer, uh, Scott Niedermeyer. Is it Paul Correa? Nope, none of those. Uh, it's really a bad uh, and expected to be bad Arizona or Arizona Anaheim team. Uh, the Calgary Flames winning two on their road trip earlier, Minnesota and Dallas back to back. Now four points back of Winnipeg for the eighth playoff spot. They started the week seven points back. So in the span of four days, five days, they've made up a couple of points here. Um, Everybody's excited. Everybody's um, every, you know, there seems to be a different feel around this team. And I do want to thank my good friend, Mike Kelm. He uh, tweeted at me yesterday. Can we throw this up? Mike, Mike sent me this tweet yesterday. And could they finally be having fun? Because, of course, we all know sports is fun. If you look at Mackenzie Weger, he's got his hat on backwards on the bench uh, like a rally cap. This is a team that has been far too tight, far too businesslike. Uh, and again, raise your hands if you saw the goal go in overtime and you shut the TV off, assuming you knew the ending and didn't realize the goal got called back. Uh, we found out later that uh, at least Rasmus Anderson was completely out of his gear and had to put it all back on and scramble back to the bench to get back in this game. But I see something like that. And Mike, I hear you. I see you. I like it. It's two wins. It's, it's you know, Markstrom's playing better. Markstrom got the shutout. There's lots of reasons to be optimistic. It's two wins. Two wins. Um, Ottawa on Sunday. Uh, Anaheim tonight. Ottawa, by the way playing really really good hockey right now okay uh coming up just after two o'clock uh, line tested and everything our good friend contributor eric the from the athletic will join us we're going to talk to him about the outstanding column that he oversaw for the athletic nhl 99 where they ranked the top 99 players of the modern era also the uh, philadelphia flyers made a change today uh and we'll talk to eric about that now oh i'm very proud to, to read this note. This is, I'm very proud to read this note. Um, I do want to let everybody know before we even start this interview, 
that uh, my next guest is a, a a dear friend. B, we are peers at Sport Calgary, and C, I'm happy to let everybody know that I have uh, joined the Calgary Surge in a small, pivotal community way uh, to try and help grow. Uh, what I think is a very important sport, what I think is a very important opportunity in our city. Can't talk about representation mattering if you're not prepared to put in the elbow grease. And I am, and they are, so I'm very excited to welcome in my new boss. No. (laughs) Well, he is. Welcome in my dear friend, Jason Ribeiro, the vice chairman, president of the Calgary Surge of the CEBLA, or CBLA, CEBL. Also, a uh, doctoral researcher at U of C, and as I mentioned, we're both directors for Sport Calgary. My friend, welcome to the show. So you're doing a show now? Like, I'm what, doing like, like, Can we, uh, this, can we you get to work? You thought this was my, just my room, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Can we get to work now? Yes. No, no, no. Can no. we this, get to work? I, I, I know it's very kind introduction, number one, but number two, um, I know I speak for a lot of people mm. who feel really, really great to have Rob Kerr <laughs> back behind the mic now, because it's needed. Um, you know, we're... we're Everything's happening so quickly and, you know, you've forgotten more things about pro sports than, than a lot of people remember. And, and as we're trying to do things better, mm. um, I, I think it's really, really great for all of us to know that we have a voice that knows that things can get better. Yeah. Things can improve and some things are taking too slow um, uh, or, or taking too long to improve yep. and, and need that, that, uh, that, that battery in the back to do it sometimes it's going to be me but i think it means a lot coming from you so i'm honored to to be here with you on the nation well i appreciate that very much and uh, this has been a long time coming um as a matter of fact it's been coming since october 21st does that sound about 19th right? 19th no yeah. october 19th my, yeah. i'm sorry october 19th yeah. uh you and usman your partner stood at Windsport. um was it a surprise that there was a cebl team coming to calgary no but it was a hell of a surprise to see who was behind it. It was a hell of a surprise in the right way about the vision. Um, tell me about this journey, Jason. How do you end up in this show today talking about professional basketball in Calgary? You know, it's it's uh, things have been moving so quickly that it's hard to even go back and diagnose. But what I what I do know is this. You know, I, I grew up um, loving everything about sports the the and all sports the the aspiration the competition uh the fact that um there were all of these overlays with music and fashion and it it was it was bigger than just what was happening on the ice or on the court or on the turf and basketball was one of these ones where i I spent a lot of time a lot of time growing up in the gta Mm -hmm. Um, watching the Raptors, imagining I was uh, Vince Carter in some delusional way, um, uh, you know, scalping my, you know, taking my student loan money to scalp tickets at, at ACC for for the Leafs or um, uh, the the Raptors, even as you know, and one of the few people who know, staying up way past my bedtime to watch Dallas Stars hockey, yep. um, which you could get at that time, uh, um, you know, 1030 start. Um, and, and, you know, growing, especially in this community, you know, background in coaching and all these good things as, a, as an educator, but growing in this community as a voice for sport, standing on the shoulders of so many people that are probably a, a real huge part of why I'm here, why you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to be able to to venture into this world and say, you know what, with all these diverse experiences that I've accumulated and being that kid and that patch of grass, a little piece of asphalt, you know, playing basketball, this this makes sense, and so yeah, I'm, I'm honored 
uh, with Usman to have been a small part of bringing this this here and bringing this here in 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 the way that we have. Right. You, you mentioned that you know on August seventeenth, the CEBL announced that they were moving the Guelph franchise, a, a team in their smallest market, to one of the largest markets here in Calgary as a league owned team. Um, we found out about that like everyone else, mm-hmm. and and that set off a an intense two month period where you know you not only have to earn the trust of your partners uh, at the league, which we have, but then stand up. Um, uh, an entire business, but also a community vision. And the only thing that allowed us to do that was because we already knew what that vision needed to be. We already knew because we're so close to the community mm-hmm. um, what this needed to look like. And so, yeah, October 19th, um, really, really special day. It was great to have you there as well. So articulate that vision. Yeah. What What is that vision? What I mean, if, if it was that easy to do, then it's got to be crystal clear for you and your partner, right? Yeah. You have to be on the same page to do sure. something like this. Yeah, yeah, and to stand next to each other the way that we have, I think has a there's an implicit trust there. There's an implicit credibility there, and 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 we're certainly very thoughtful and intentional about the organizations that we stand beside. And when we stand beside someone, mm-hmm. we stand beside someone through thick and and thin. And so, you know, I think part of that vision, just based on the time constraints, had to be unspoken. We had to have the trust that we were just going to do things and that those things would be the things that resonated in community because they were battle tested. Yep. We think about the things that we do for Sport Calgary, the yep. advocacy work that we do, the causes that we support, the positions that we've taken publicly, but then also the experience in broadcasting and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, in business, in consulting, in, in board governance, you name it. But the vision for, for us is simple. We talked to maybe you know, a very small group of people and the thing that kept coming up was this concept of home. You know, Calgary is a home to so many people. Calgary and, and Treaty 7 has been home for millennia to people. Yep. And I don't know that we fully understood what it means to be at home, how comfortable you need to be. You look at that tape that is on your microphone. Mm-hmm. Think about the, 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 the intro you just gave. There are people that don't feel at home in sport in particular, but in this city and in every city. Mm-hmm. Why would we not want to? Why would we not want to be neighborly and make sure that in every room, in every arena that you go to, they make it make people feel at home? Right. And and that is a concept that translates above languages. That's a, a concept that translates above divides. You know how comfortable you need to be, and you know how uncomfortable it is sometimes um, when it doesn't feel that way. And so for us, the central vision was number one make people feel at home, make people feel welcome, take down all of the walls and the airs that puts a barrier between people and sport and sport is fun. So, so let's, let's not treat it as though it has to be any more complicated than that. And then the second piece was, and this is maybe at a 10,000 foot view, you know, growing up in the GTA, I saw the evolution of Toronto. I was there. Mm-hmm. I saw when Carabana used to be just this thing that happened in the background and then became at the forefront. Right. I saw when they opened up Maple Leaf Square to the public and Jurassic Park, because that wasn't always the case growing up. I saw when music and fashion, all these things collided. All of those people, or all of those pieces, excuse me, I know exist in Calgary. And they're uniquely Calgarian. It doesn't have to be this poor, deluded version of Toronto and Vancouver. It can be uniquely Calgarian, but let's get excited again. Let's bring all of those pieces together, and let's just show the people what's possible Enough analysis paralysis. Let's just get it done. I mentioned off the top, we've been doing a lot of back and forth, you and I, and and this is about the millionth time I've said this to you. But tell me about minor pro second-tier sports in our country. It Mm -hmm. does not have a good history. Right. 
there is a history of bas- professional basketball in this city. Sure. But leagues, they've been, you know, a little tough. Anything below the NHL, sometimes a little tough. Yeah. Anything, you know, in that, was that at all? Did that at all keep you up? Did, was there any trepidation about, you know, where this fits in the grand scheme of things? Uh, I think so, certainly. And, and and that's good because you're going in with eyes wide open. And the two things that gave us confidence was, you know, as a new pro league, you reach that kind of five-year mark as as the CBL has, particularly under really challenging circumstances. Yeah, COVID. You know, the, the, the first... They were the first league to bring fans back into the stadium uh, safely. They were the first, uh, you know, league to do a bubble. Um, and and I know that that the team worked really, really hard to to be able to do that. But I, I you know, as a researcher, I look at all the, you know, the, sure. the history, the analysis. Yep. And, and most folks smarter than both of us have said, you reached this kind of mark. You're kind of here to stay. And so, so that gave us a little bit of confidence. Yep. The other piece to that, though, then is, okay, so what does that league represent? And the fact that I don't have to have long embattled battles, so to speak, about mm-hmm. inclusion with this league uh, mattered to us. Secondly, the fact that you have uh, great leadership at the helm with the commissioner, Mike Morreale, and increasingly now um, names that have been publicly revealed, but names that we knew at the time of, uh, that, that we were bringing the team here are, are picking up these uh, these other properties in these teams. And these are credible business leaders, community-minded folks from uh, our friends at uh, at OVO and and Sam Ibrahim in Scarborough to to you know our friends in BC David Asper in Winnipeg uh, yep. just down the line and and recently with Edmonton gives us confidence. But the the last piece was there were certain pieces that you haven't seen in professional basketball uh, in all the experiments before. The Spaldings are there, the Footlockers are there, the content is there, and no one's being shot out of a cannon at halftime. It's the 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 product spoke for itself, not just on the business side, but those guys are sending folks to the NBA. And and for us, that gave us enough confidence to say, we know how we can uniquely make the group better. And I think every, you know, uh, you know, uh, governance uh, person at the table or ownership group should be doing that. But also we know that we're standing on the shoulders of a lot of work that's been done. So we had, uh, we had confidence and, um, and I think hopefully we'll look back and say this was a model. So two, two questions that come off of that. Let me start with Mike Morreale first. a CFL guy with a, you know, an awesome reputation. And, right. and I think that everybody that knows him likes him leading sport, leading a league, being at the top of the food chain these days is not easy. Um, it comes with a whole new set of circumstances. You need to be vetted. You need to be all of those things. Tell me what you've learned about Mike Morreale and what gives you confidence about his leadership. Yeah. And look, it's, it's a, full circle moment, uh, for me, uh, not for us. Cause it's a history. He didn't even know. I think I mentioned it on stage at our launch, uh, not to age him, but you know, growing up, uh, in Stony Creek, Hamilton area, um, you know, we played our CYO kind of championship games. It was the big deal. We would play it at Ivor Wynn stadium, uh, in a CFL stadium. Um, but yeah, I was in the stands, you know, Oski Wee and, and seeing Mike Morreale compete for great cups and then to stand, across stage for, uh, from him, you know, announcing a pro basketball team is a, is a great moment. And, you know, he's done some, some incredible work. And, and I think under difficult circumstances, he's a big reason, I think, why we're, we're here. But I think both sides of us, you know, Usman and I and, and our entire front office, and I think the league office understand this has to be bigger than one person. And I think so much in professional sport, um, NHL, NBA, has really been a one-person show and, frankly, a, a one-man show. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just not the, the perception I have of Mike. Uh, Mike is a team builder, um, has confidence, empowers people to go and do that work. I think we, we sit in these 
in these tables where, you know, you've got a lot of really successful people making decisions here and you don't see any of those egos flare. Um, there is a healthy perspective on competition, but ultimately recognizing that this is not about us. Uh, and I hope that that comes through. Uh, you know, Osman and I are really intentional about the fact of why we did this. It wasn't because we had aspirations of this. Growing up how we grew up, mm -hmm. we don't have aspirations of, of, of being in this position now, mm -hmm. uh, bringing a pro team um, at any level to, to a city that you call home where you're raising your children. Um, and I think not diagnosing that and not thinking about that allows us to be really, really in tune with the community and recognize what's important. And I think uh, our counterparts are taking note. They're seeing that the same way. And I hope that that's a little bit of the superpower fairy dust that that was missing, where it was just the business. I hear your your show all the time. It's just the customer, just treating you like customers, not treating you as as a neighbor, as a community yep. member, as someone who yep. who who needs to feel comfortable. Um, you know, someone who you how you how would you invite someone into your own home? Would you treat them as just a transaction? Don't use the language and, and hide behind the language. Really make good on treating people like family or like they're at home. And that's the aspiration we've set for us. What about Mike Morreale's aspirations for the league? Having done this, I, I, you know, I told you I was there for the first game of the Drillers in the ABA. I've right. seen the Northern League come through. I, I've seen startup leagues. I, you know, at one point there was a WHA2 coming and all of these <laughs> things. As a matter of fact, how long are NDAs? Are seven years? I'm pretty anyway. Yeah. I signed an NDA for a basketball uh, league back. Oh, I want to say in 2009, 2010. Oh, wow. They were looking at it, and they were all across Canada. It really felt a little bit like the CEBL, except I haven't heard you tell me about the 1,000 instruments you've acquired from <laughs> Yamaha for bands <laughs> for each team, which I did see in that document. <laughs> What's where are we going? Where right. does the where's where is the CEBL in five years and ten years if Mike Morreale carries out his vision? Yeah. And, and, and I think part of that is, you know, part of that is in place because I think we as a, as a group have, have made him now, I think the longest going to be tenured commissioner in, in pro sports in the country. Um, I, I think it's twofold. One is I think job not finished. Um, I think we still need to make sure that the early success we have is, is established success. And, and I'm really proud of, you know, even for us, the early success that, that, that we've had, you know, not ever having played a game yet. Um, now we've just set that bar and we need to make sure that we meet it, uh, if not exceed it, which mm -hmm. is, which is my, my responsibility and, and the responsibility of, of our team. But, but from, from a league perspective, I think it's, it's making sure that that's a sustainable, successful experience, both on the floor and off the floor, making sure that these become institutionalized, you know, entities in, in the fabric of community, that, you know, you look to your local CABL team for not just that extra level of accessibility, but also that level of aspiration. Maybe yeah. maybe our our players are a little bit more accessible for the limited time that they're here. Maybe you you enjoy, you know, following their travels as they they do other pro pursuits, either in the NBA uh, or abroad. Um, so so I think that's that's what happens, um, you know, sort of uh, on the court. You know, we, we need to make sure that we're positioning the players appropriately, building sustainability and making sure that the quality doesn't suffer. If we stop, you know, sending people to the NBA, I, I think that that's going to be a huge challenge while also recognizing that having a CEBL career can also be something that establishes you for what you want to do in your career. Then there's that that longer term play to say, OK, well, we need some more teams. Mm -hmm. um, we want to scale intentionally and thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. 
and where are those teams going to go? And I think Mike has a really thoughtful vision of, of who those potential partners are, uh, what markets make sense for us. And then as a unique entity in Canada, we always talk about the world needing more Canada. Is the relationship just with our friends uh, uh, to the South in the United States or is it more internationally? And I think that's where our you know, really trusted affiliation with Canada basketball will help. And maybe the CEBL represents something in Canada, represents something to the G League and the NBA, but maybe it represents something abroad as well. And you see that with our dipping our toes in the BCLA's conversation. Maybe there are more of those conversations that pursue as well. It, it's, you know, a little unfair for me to come at you with this question because still trying to establish and, and you know, get everything set in our country yeah. with the game, you know, you, is there... Any thought to any conversation of down the road 10, 20 years of a WCEBL? Look, Th- these are conversations that are being had, right? I yeah. mean, publicly. I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think I think you have to think about that in that context, right? I think I think from a from a league perspective, especially if we double down on this, and this is uh, you know, you want to talk about a soapbox? I don't know if you have one in here. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's one big giant soapbox. <laughs> right, 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 right. Maybe I'll I'll sit up a little bit. Um Look, this is a, I'm very cognizant that this is a men's professional product, yeah. Um, which is why I, I think we're being so intentional about making sure that uh, young girls and women and, and people who identify differently also have a place featured in the faces that you see. Um, and, you know, we were, it was a really beautiful experience to uh, last weekend, you know, have our general manager uh, and our senior advisor uh, in town for this beautiful celebration at the Genesis Center. And to, without sort of curating this, you know, see the Akram Joma uh, women's uh, girls basketball team um, out in full force mm-hmm. uh, to then go the next day or next two days and go to the women's championship uh, at Jack Simpson for for the Dinos for a little mini version of Battle of Alberta. And again, going back to that sports is fun context, sports has to be for everyone as well. Yep. And so I think if we're doing our job properly in terms of, you know, being open, being inclusive, being accessible, making sure it's not just this narrow thing for two or three months where we're following these men um, and it, it becomes this more year round opportunity for us to overlay with community any way you identify coming in through all of that, I think, benefits the prospects of more leagues or more teams. And you see soccer trying to do that as well mm-hmm. now. And I wish them the most amount of success and any way that we can help support. Uh, I, I've told literally every sports group in the city, this is not zero sum for us. If we can help. If we can even symbolically show support, you can count on us. Um, and, and so definitely, I think that opportunity, if we you know, create a solid foundation here, but position it appropriately, my hope is that there's there's all of these spinoff uh, leagues that uh, that get brought into the community in context. Well, let's let's talk about some of the brass tacks for the fans. Yeah, Surge. Where did the name and the logo come from? It's an interesting story. Um, so I'll start with the name. You know, we we had this kind of grassroots online campaign that had already, I think, taken shape by the time that we got involved. And um, you know, there were all of these kinds of plays on on energy. And they were a little bit overt and like, like literally, and you know, I won't, I won't say any names, but it was super overt. Um, and I'm a more Jay-Z double entendre. Okay. I, I like the wink. Okay. I like the, yep. the nod. Um, and, and I think that that's important because the wink and the nod allows it to be a little bit more accessible for mm-hmm. folks. And so that name came up a few times in that. And then it was actually a conversation with Mike where I know that they had had other 
longstanding conversations with interested parties who were thinking about bringing the team here yep. prior to us learning about it. And it was one of the recommendations. And this is this community. This individual was gracious enough to say, even once finding out that it's, hey, we're not the, the people that are going to be bringing this here. It's going to be Jason and Usman and a whole host of other you know, community supporting uh, partners. Give them that, 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 say that that's our preferred name because that'd be interesting. And I heard it and it was something that I didn't really have to think too much about. You know, I, I think it's even in my Twitter, like my, like my banner right now, it's this powerful feeling, mm -hmm. an emotion, a rush. Then there's the double entendre of a four, you know, a fourth quarter surge, right? A third period surge from X, Y, Z. Yeah. There's that sport le level, but then there's also the fact that look, Calgary is surging forward. And, and I want to pick up on something that you mentioned yeah. as a quick aside, um, you know, on a, I think it was on your first or second show was, you know, are we surging ahead? Because in some respects we're not. Yes. And you and I had an offline conversation. I agree. But I think there's an undoubted momentum outside of sports where I think we are. Yep. And, and that's, I think that's the distinction that you made. You know, this is a beautiful place. Um, uh, you know, forget about all the rankings that you hear people tout. But, but I think you know this in your bones if you're here. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't be insecure about it. We've caught the brass ring. This is a beautiful community. This is a community that will show up for you. Being in Canada, you won the lottery. Um, you know, not to get to, to get too political, even though that's my other hat of uh, <laughs> being a broadcaster, a commentator. Yeah. You know, I hear a lot of conversation about Canada being broken. That's a uh, that's a big statement to make. That's a big statement to make uh, in a in a more political context. But I think maybe it devalues the gifts that we've been given here. Um, and maybe it devalues the work that we still have to do every single day every to make sure yep. that this stays intact because make no mistake, it's, it's the envy of a lot of places. And so this community is surging ahead in economic diversification, something that I had a front row seat for in my executive role at CED, yep. surging ahead in all the innovations. You talk about UFC's kinesiology department. I, I could name every single story to you and you know, you know, those same stories, tech, tech, uh, you, you know, uh, even, even in, you know, our, our title sponsor mm -hmm. is, uh, is a company that didn't exist in 2015. And it's, it's the, you know, I say this proudly, it's probably one of the largest deals. Um, oh, no, tell, it, tell us, tell us, <laughs> you know, my, my good friends, Kai and Gersh, co-CEOs of Zeno Renewables. This is one of the largest deals in, in, I, I would say professional sports. I, I wouldn't even put the caveat there. Um, blew uh, my mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the inner workings of yep. that, right? So, so, so multi-year, uh, six figure annual commitment. And so that's the city. So we're surging ahead from that perspective. And so even though in sport, we got a lot of work to do, and maybe it's a separate conversation, surging ahead. And we want to be part of surging ahead and surging intentionally. So that's the name. Um, and I, I, I like that it wasn't literal. Some of the, the team names are quite literal. So you see the logo and then you see the name and it's, it's a... Not it's, the Calgary Super Unleaded. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Or, or even from some of our counterparts who that, that's the choice that they've made. You know, ours, I, I wanted the logo to be something different than what you were seeing, Right. So if, uh, yes. you know, the, the Boston Bruins, it's a, it's, yep. a, it's a bear and the, those kinds of things, not to, to, to be specific, Toronto Raptors. Yep. So then the logo was something that kept me up at night. It wasn't the original logo. Uh, we, we were going back and forth, but we had to launch and we'd already delayed it a couple times. And luckily, I think we got it right. And, and what, what I like about it, no plug uh, needed yep. right here, uh, calgarysurge.ca slash shop. Um, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> calgarysurge.ca slash shop. Got it. Okay. There now, we go. Okay, I remember it now. Yeah. 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 Um, aspirational, a symbol, 
something fresh, something that could be adapted over time, particularly with our indigenous brothers and sisters. Um, and Willie Littlechild, Chief Willie Littlechild, who did the opening remarks at our launch, said, you know, there's, there's no higher honor. And I didn't, I didn't know that he would say that. It blew me away, actually. I, yeah. I had to sit back because it wasn't the intention. Yeah. It was a nod to the Guelph Nighthawks, the same nod that, that the Calgary Flames made to Atlanta, yep. um, keeping that a little bit consistent, but also knowing that there's a red-tailed hawk that's in Alberta. And, and so I think it gives us the positioning to be aspirational, unique. You can see it on a jersey, but you can see it on a shirt. You can see it in high fashion. You can see it uh, in the schools, but something that I think and, and look forward to meaning different things to different people over time. We agree on most, on a few things we've disagreed. Um, I think it's a mistake not to have gone with the fighting squirrels. Uh, at some point. That <laughs> I'm proud to disagree a, with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll settle this oh, by after. By the way, black, uh, I don't know, you didn't do it for me. I love black and red. I, lo- I love the blasty jersey. I love the yeah. stamps when they wear black. You know, I just like that color combination. So uh, it's, it's cool. It's sharp. It's, you know. I think you're going to be okay with the, well, I was at Genesis. I think the merch is, is okay. Yeah. yeah I think we, people are digging the merch. Yeah. We, uh, and, and rest assured we, we, had, we've restocked another order of like nine different, uh, items because we're, we, we, we ran out. And so, uh, we're, we're super excited, but again, I, I go back to that vision. Yeah. One of the pieces of why, uh, you know, I, I had a very big hand in this part of it because it matters, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, there's parts of this community, you talk about all four corners of Calgary. There's parts of this community that are not in all the conversations we're talking about are not included. Correct. And that's and and that that results in a little bit of a coarsening. And and some of that is 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 challenging to get around. Um, but some of it is also just let's acknowledge it. And so I I you go to the Genesis Center and some of those kids come through and uh, it's a little bit more aggressive. It's a little bit grittier. It's a little bit more hungry. It's a little bit more aspirational. And I don't know that we have an acknowledgement of that. Mm-hmm. It's always this kind of more macro perspective of what Calgary means, but mm-hmm. there are pockets in here of people that have been kicked around, that have been knocked around, that that maybe need a, a, a community vision or a brand that acknowledges, hey, I know you've been kicked around. And here's something that you can wear a little bit with pride and dress up to right. be aspirational. But here's something a little grittier, a little bit grimier that's not, hey, look, I'm a sports team, that you can come through to your towns, to your neighborhoods, to your schools and feel cool to wear and not, hey, look at me, I'm a sports team. This is a this is more of an attitude. This is a perspective that I hope and have heard from a lot of kids that say, fire let's 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 i'm gonna rock with that and that's um, the highest compliment you could pay well you you know what we'll get to the the players and coaches in a second and i'm gonna skip ahead to something i was gonna bring up because you've just kind of alluded to which is the home team tour yeah which you've been on um kudos to you uh i think again teams launch and there's so much to do i don't have to lecture you you know it you see the bags under my eyes yeah there's a laundry list but almost from the get-go you guys have been in the community. You have been in the basketball community. Um, talk to me about making that case. It was Did you need to make that case if you had to try to justify it to, you know, your, your partner or any of your staff? Because to me, it's it's been a uh, really a, a fun thing to watch. Oh, I appreciate that. It's very kind. I, I think, like, at the core of, and you know this, yeah. like, I'm a community guy. Yep. Like, I, and, and. And the people that we brought in to around this team, uh, you know, no exception made over here, <laughs> um, they're community-minded people. And, and I think there's, there's, there's the, 
the community-minded conversations about Calgary's future, but then there's the community-minded folks who are setting up the kids' nets uh, at 7 p.m. after work to, to make sure their kids can play mm-hmm. or, or giving the cup of sugar to the neighbor, like those kinds of community-minded, good, good people. Yep. And I got to tell you, this was one of those things where you say it's unspoken. We didn't have to put it on a piece of paper. We didn't have to think about it. There was no discussion had. We, we just knew we're going to go to community. We're going to go and amplify what is already happening because our role is not to cannibalize. Our goal is to amplify. Our goal is to empower. You don't see us standing up an entire basketball community arm right now, but you do see us going to you know the UFC Dinos and Calgary Minor Basketball Association and you know St. Mary's High and yeah. All Saints High and our friends at Genesis Basketball and Family Hoops, uh, uh, our friend Coach Kenny, all the way down the line. I know these guys by name. Because our goal is to amplify them. And I, I set out a question underlying that home team tour was, is Calgary a basketball city? Mm-hmm. And in every stop, we collected these visuals. And I got to tell you, for me, even being there, shocked the heck out of me. You, you, you've got a thousand people packed in to watch a junior girls game. And it's the junior boys, not even the junior boys players, just junior boys and senior boys in the hundreds watching them play, cheering them on as if they were the Raptors. Yeah. You you go to 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 Genesis Center where you see police officers and girls in hijabs and, and people with accessibility needs playing wheelchair basketball and international persons with disabilities day. Blew my mind. We didn't even know about that mm-hmm. until we reached out and did our outreach to be able to amplify that. Yeah. So is Calgary a basketball city? I don't need to sell that. It, the visuals we captured showed undoubtedly it is. And so that was more unspoken. It's going to continue. We're re-upping it. Uh, we had a home team celebration that you were at at Genesis Center where hundreds of people came through, not just from, again, the people who RSVP'd through us, but hundreds of people that are out in community every day playing basketball, um, you know, engaging in community. So we're, we're proud to, to play some small role in, in amplifying that. Well, I go back to, well, geez, must have been five, six years ago now, the Raptors played uh, Denver yeah. in the preseason. And there was 19,289 plus in that building. <laughs> yeah. It's a basketball city. It, it, it is. Um, I have no doubt of that. So do you, have you staked out a role yet in, in, and, and the example I would give it and, you know, plug on Monday, Mike board, the, the general manager, of the roughnecks is going to mm-hmm. join us. You know, the roughnecks have had quite an impact on box lacrosse in our city and growing mm-hmm. it. I don't think that same growth is necessarily required. Right. But how do the Calgary Surge foster, you know, basketball in our community? What role do you have to play? I think we play a, a role in two folds. One is to make sure that the players that we bring in, the 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 people responsible for assembling our team, our general manager Shane James, our advisor Steve Kinchowski, winning winning as coach in U Sports Men Basketball history. I, I think we show that pedigree, that that eye for talent, and putting a great basketball team on the floor. There, there's no substitute for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that will grow the game's leaps and bounds if we do our due diligence from that perspective. And I know that, you know, I'm signing those contracts. So I, I know that we're we're coming correct there. But I think the second part is to what you said. Um, uh, the, the part A of it, uh, you can see I like to talk in parts. So there's two parts, <laughs> but then the second part has an A and a B. Sure. The, the part A is amplifying those folks who have been grinding it out for years and decades. There is good basketball work being done and not just good basketball work that is producing talent and, and you know, 
this amazing woman, Yvonne, that's that's playing for Gonzaga right now from Calgary. Mm-hmm. All of those high-level athletes, but just great people who say, you know, my, my son or my daughter was able to find themselves in this sport because of coach this, coach that amplify the heck out of them make sure we stand beside them make sure we make sure that, 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 that they're supported uh, and and their growth is supported with our professional overlay but then the other part is how do we uniquely fill in those gaps how do we uniquely foster camps clinics uh, yeah. and basketball programming that grows the game grows the sport shows all that all are welcome so we're going to find our, our i think our rhythm over the next uh, few months on where those gaps exist but i look forward to going through a season really over indexing on amplifying then then and in making sure we're not cannibalizing and then i think we'll have a good sense of where our role is let's make sure we're playing in those spaces and amplifying and growing the sport we are live in the oodle noodles studio they bring the heat butter chicken mac and cheese kung pao noodles bangkok pad thai classic vegetarian and gluten-friendly options pick up and delivery at their two locations 1244 17th Ave southwest 105 main street north in airdrie tell me about the player pool who are the who are the players that are going to make up your team? Where do they come from? What should we expect? Yeah, so and it's probably one of the number one questions I, I get. So I'm happy always to answer it. So our, our players are pro basketball players. Uh, and I think that's a distinguishing feature for a lot of leagues, especially in this in this minor pro context. Um they are guys that are are making you know a great living playing abroad. Um, these are guys that are looking at uh, and again seventy percent Canadian. Uh, that's that's a mandated rule as far uh, as far as our league is concerned. And one of the main reasons we did this, we wanted to uniquely grow the Canadian sport of basketball. Um, so they're they're pro guys. They're playing abroad. They're playing in the United States. Some of them have two ways with uh, with an NBA uh, a team or an NBA affiliate. Um, and I think there's there's the the come up and and the sort of gradual ease down. A lot of our players, uh, it's one of the guys on Guelph actually, AJ Lawson, um, is someone who signed a two way with the Dallas Mavericks, and now you're seeing him, you know, really normally playing with Luka Doncic, yeah, you know, night in and night out and showing out. That was one of our, you know, our former players. Um, so that speaks to the quality, and so we're so great grateful for the opportunity to be uh, supporting players in their development and growth. A uh, lot of national guys for the Canada basketball team that's gone, I think, 11 and one in the qualifying rounds of the FIBA World Championship. But then there's also those former NBA guys, uh, former guys that want to stay close to the game, are Canadian or want to stay close to home, or, or maybe you're thinking, hey, I got one last shot to make it back, mm-hmm. but are still highly, highly, highly competitive and talented basketball players. Uh, so, you know, Bebe Naguera, um, former Raptor, was on the Guelph franchise as well. Uh, last year so it's it's an amazing pool of highly talented professional people and one of the last pieces as well in supporting the growth of the game is that you sports player that you're able to sign and so you know getting to support our canadian post-secondary institutions having that relationship with you sport where you're not just supporting their development in the game but also potentially supporting their educational pursuits right tuition credits uh, is another great part of the game so is that is that kind of like the CPLs piece? Can you have a an active student on your roster then? Yes. Okay. Um, and so I, I think as well. Um, and again, again, not zero sum for us. I think the U Sports Player of the Year just announced today. Thomas Kennedy um, is a night in night out player for the Vancouver Bandits, mm-hmm. and so that ability to play at that level get your education, get exposed to the game and play as a professional. Again, there's, there's only limited spots for that. 
Um, but I think makes it really, really, really special um, in terms of supporting the growth of Canadian basketball. So what is your roster constructed from? I mean, you're not an expansion team, so I'm assuming you did you inherit some some players? How how will you build this team? Yeah, so we had a, a protected list, which was great. Um, uh, I cannot confirm nor deny that we've used that to, uh, to our advantage. But, but you know, we this business is so relational. And mm-hmm. I think this is for us, um, and for me, wearing the executive role uh, as as well as president, you know, we're, we're learning about this business as we go. I, I think there's some 10,000 foot principles, whether you're a community leader, a business leader, a mom, a dad, you name it, um, that just cut across on treating people fairly. And I'm so glad that, you know, 90% of that stuff um, really applies here. It's relationship-based. And so there are only so many agents. There are only so many players, uh, players who have that agent connection uh, and are being shopped around and are are used to playing in the league. And so certainly I think a number of the players that played in Guelph um, are interested in playing in our league again. We have as much a shot at signing them uh, as any other team. Uh, but I know that that relationship has been built from a consistency perspective in terms of promoting within you know, I'm honored that Shane James, the former assistant general manager of the Guelph Nighthawks, is now our general manager. This is a guy that's overdue. Um, great basketball mind, great basketball talent, has been a part of growing, you know, current and former NBA players. Um, so I know that he holds those relationships, but it's certainly, but it is, I think, I think more so on the business side of it, mm-hmm. it is an expansion. Uh, but certainly, I think from the basketball side, those relationships still exist should we choose to execute on them and, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm so I'm so grateful for even though it didn't show up on the floor, I'm so grateful that the community support, the relationships, and the architecture that was built in Guelph, um, a very special town, uh, very special fan base, um, has we've maintained at least some of that component in what we're doing here in Calgary. What about things like um, off court housing? Yeah employment, things like that. I mean, you know, lacrosse players, not very many live in Calgary that play for the Roughnecks. We've seen, you know, Vancouver, Toronto have problems with CFL players housing. How is the, how's the surge set up for, because it's a small season, right? It's like a three, four month season, three and three and change, three and change. Yeah. 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 So it was a four, four months, I think it is a round number. Um, Yeah. I think it is interesting, right? It's and and I think we're learning this, this as we go on player preferences, what makes sense for us, you know, what makes sense for us being on the road as much as we are. And so that's the, that's the operation side where you're looking at a, a accommodations that support the players, um, keep them together as much as possible. I think that that camaraderie is so critical. And then also recognizing that, you know, the accommodations and the community that you build has to be beyond just your time in Calgary. It has to travel with you on the road. It has to travel with you in the, in the, in the relationships that you have, that you will wear when you're going onto the court or you're staying at the, the, the Radisson in Winnipeg or wherever you are, mm-hmm. um, th- those things have to travel with you. And so I think what we're work, working on the logistics, and I, I think we're quite confident in the arrangements that we've made, but the players will live in Calgary. Uh, they will be here. Uh, they will be active members of the community. And that's, that's another important distinction to make. You know, I, I think there's an expectation league-wide that's set about what role the players have in, in community. And I don't, I don't look at that as just what's on the paper. Um, and our general manager doesn't either. That num- whatever you think that that number is of hours or whatever that break, you're going to do more mm-hmm. because it's that important and it's that critical. And you should know that as trusted members of the, of the community, we're going to position you for success. And that's why you can go to a Genesis center and it's, it's not a logistical nightmare. It's, it's messy in all the beautiful ways of community, 
right? Like there's this quote I love about Calgary where it says, it's by an author named Sean Hunter. And it was like, and I'm going to butcher it, but it was like, here was Calgary in, in complete 3D vision, all of the beauty and scars and blemishes. And so, yes, our job is to make sure that we're solving and, and addressing where some of those blemishes are. And I think a lot of those blemishes exist in professional sports. It's you're showing up and the player's waiting for 30 minutes because you haven't been organized. Let's, let's, let's shore that up. Let's make sure they're high impact, really focused on the kids and the communities that need it. Um, but then also give them the opportunity to see the beauty in that. And uh, so that's what I'm most looking forward to introducing this great and beautiful city to these players. You and Usman give Shane what direction with this club? Is it about winning or is it about developing? And by that, are you more apt to give a MRU or a UFC player an opportunity or a coach or somebody to add to them staff and, you know, work with basketball Canada or, is it about getting some banners and and I honestly and I'm sitting here, Jason. I think either is all. I just think you need to declare which lane you're in, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no. I, it's a fantastic question, and I I just see no reason why I have to compromise for one or the other. Okay. Um, you know, you, you talk about the community connection. It would be really jarring to me if the the kind of mix that we didn't have involved on the basketball operations side. Uh, didn't have at least some connection um, uh, to this city, and so I, I think that's important. And, and we have given, uh, I've given Jane that, that that guidance to say, you know, look, there's there there are people in Calgary. I'm not going to name names, but there are people in Calgary who have played in the CBL. Leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Like that, 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 the ability to be able to to tap into that and highlight is is important. Then you talk about the other side. Um, you know, we talk a lot about community, we talk a lot about inclusion, et cetera, but sometimes that can be mistaken for a lack of competitive instinct. Uh, I think, you know, how I move, I agree. I am, I'm more competitive probably than anyone you'll ever meet. Uh, I just have it in perspective. And I think that that perspective matters. I'm not willing to compromise my values to be competitive. I'm not comfortable with our organization cutting corners to be competitive, I actually think that ends up blowing in your face. There are very few examples of short-term, and every time you see a team that tries to do that, it always ends up blowing in their face. We were entering into this weird super team era like in the NBA, mm-hmm. and there's some successes to tout. There's a lot of failure that's littered mm-hmm. in that. I think back to the uh, the the Carl Malone, Gary Payton, mm-hmm. Kobe era, the Lakers, where it, it, Steve Nash, it was just you were just in awe of it and then it didn't really gel. So our, our point is let's do things the right way. Let's lead with integrity. I'm not compromising for anything and I don't think I need to sacrifice it to win, but we're out to win and make no mis- mistake about that. When you made the announcement, um, I think one of the first things I said to you is, oh boy, do I have some books for you to read <laughs> because I pray at the altar of Jesse Cole every day. You're going to do this event. We're going to call them the Calgary Bananas, right? They're going to be <laughs> yellow and we're going to do all kinds of dance. Your vision of game day for the surge, I think, is really intriguing. Tell us what fans should expect, what you, what you hope they will take away from coming to a game. Yes, and as as Rob knows, I, I like to read. So, so <laughs> I, got a, I got a long list of academic articles and my own dissertation, and but then books and books and books from every realm, including sport. And so, yeah, I was familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Jesse Cole story and that perspective. And I, I know it's a perspective on how you treat fans yeah. that isn't given a lot of deference. It, it may be in articles, but not in practice. And I think what's interesting about it, you know, I was, I was actually on the phone today with a, 
the president of a, of an NBA G league team. And I, I asked him, I said, you know, if you had one piece of advice, what would you give me? Uh, and, and I'm, you know, I'll be honest and, and a little bit humble here. That's one of the things that I don't probably do enough. I'm, I'm so sort of, I'm always listening. So I feel like I don't have to ask cause I already have been listening so much and soaking it in, but sometimes it helps to just be intentional and ask. Absolutely. And I asked him and he said, you know, treat your fans like family, like personal touch, um, you know, care about them deeply. That's the business you're in. And it was great advice, but also great validation of even just think about how we're talking about this home team, welcome to the family, uh, all are welcome. That's our, that's our mantra. That's our, and so that's going to bleed over, I think, into our, our game day. I think the difference, and I'll be quite honest about this, is I think that's a lot in sports is really bold. It's in your face. There's no mistaking that this is a, an X team or a Y team or a Z team. I'm, I'm the other way. Again, I, I talk about the wink and the nod, mm-hmm. the subtlety. I think this has to be more than a basketball team. And to do that, to be in the play, in the, in the, the, the space of fashion, in the space of music, in the space of entertainment, in the space of inclusion, you need to be a lot of different things. You can't just be one. Um, and so that's, I think, part of what the, the Savannah Bananas have done while still being a very overt, yeah. we are a baseball team. I think we can take some of those same tactics and I think we apply them in our community work, Usman and I and our team um, and, and do that differently. So fans can expect you'll have a relationship with us before this short season. You'll come to these events. The home team will come to you mm-hmm. as we have. Then you'll start to see, I think, on game day, the game doesn't start at the set time that's on the schedule. You will see an activation in the plaza in Winsport you will be welcome to, to engage in community outside of the context of the basketball game. You will see some overlays in areas that I haven't seen teams play in, which is around wellness, um, around, hey, if we're gathering 3,000 people, what can we and should we do with 3,000 people to make them feel at home? Mm-hmm. Maybe that includes not just speaking to them in one language. Maybe that includes some some honoring of the fact that different communities communicate in different ways and especially in their home so if we want that event center to be home maybe we you see a little bit of that maybe you see local artists not just set up for failure i think in you know this tinny audio setting where you see them running around and no one's really hearing them maybe we use artists in context and elevate that experience of of what happens on game day and then maybe you see as well um content pieces um, uh, I know our partners are going to deliver that as well. Uh, content pieces and engagement that speaks to, again, those kids that haven't been given that fair shake. Not just rah, 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 look how good it is that we have kids here. And maybe those kids are here on behalf of the the charity or support of someone else. Maybe j- we just welcome them here. And I think that's why we're, we're going to launch very soon the Surge Assist program. I know that you're going to be a huge part of that, that program success where we say, you know, how do we solve for those barriers? How do we work intentionally in a, in a, in a nation leading way with partners like kids up front to make sure that before we ever play a game, we're setting out hundreds and hundreds of seats for deserving kids and families. Uh, and there are those who believe in the the power of that experience to be there and are willing to financially support it uh, in a way that's not, doesn't make it an onerous burden to them and they can get a tax receipt for. So uh, that's something I'm really proud of. That's something I'm really proud that, that uh, is resonating the community in the way that it has before we've even formally launched it, but that's what you're going to see on game day. And again, and there's the after party. That's mm-hmm. the part I haven't quite figured out, but but that's going to be, I think, exciting. And 
And to do that in the summertime, to do that in a way that doesn't cannibalize anything else that's going on, but it answers the question, what do you want to do on a Friday night in Calgary? Right. In the summer. Um, I hope that that's the answer now. You go into a surge game. I think coach still needs to be announced. I think tickets are still what what's left to come public. What what's the timeline, Jason, for the rest of the rollout here? Yeah. So you're you you've seen us be a little bit restrained. We've been active, but a little bit restrained. But but here's what's what's gonna come. It's it's gonna be a blitz. Uh in the next, I think we're at 80 some odd ga- days till till our first game home opener against uh the Stingers from Edmonton on May 27th. You're you're gonna see a blitz. I think. Right now, we've we've had season tickets for sale through our deposit campaign, which has been hugely successful. Uh, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I'll even say across the thousand mark for season ticket deposits. Um, and so, so that's blown our expectations. So you're going to see your flex packs. You're going to see uh, uh, single tickets real soon. You're also going to see a head coach announcement. Um, it's inked. It's signed. It's someone I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's someone who I, I think will surprise uh, people because it is every, and not to mix my metaphors, every inside baseball, in this case, inside basketball uh, fan, right? their sleeper pick. Why has that guy not get, been given a look? Or he's been given a look, but it's not the right situation. He's one of those guys. He's a journeyman, workhorse, a good man, but someone who believes in it being bigger than what's just, just on the floor. So so we'll, we'll announce him in, in the next few weeks. And then an onslaught of momentum as we approach that uh, season opener with player signings, um, uh, more sponsor announcements again in that very strategic, um, you know, uh, high value, high, uh, uh, high, um, you know, sort of cash commitment figure where we're going to do less is more. We're mm-hmm. going to partner real intentionally and strategically. Um, so I can't wait for this next blitz that's going to happen. What's success year one for you? Interesting. You know, I, I, I wrestle with that. There's a, a really great way, and, and I think we've already sort of proven mm-hmm. that out, and I don't know how many people know that, but on the business side, there's a really great way to, to measure success. Sure. And, and we've, we're trending in all the right ways, which is phenomenal. There's, it's really blunt on the other side. You know, I even, even in the way that I, I politics, you know, the tools of politics are really blunt. You're either knocking doors, you're either raising money, and you're either winning the race or you're not. Same thing goes for sport. Right. So, so I think we have to win. Uh, you know, what success looks like in the first year. I don't know. Uh, let pundits think about that. I want to win a championship job, not done. I'm very Kobe Bryant about this. Yeah. And I, and I think I try and keep that on me because I, that's a, that's a standard that I think can, can, can jar some people, but that's my standard is we win a chip uh, and you win it again and you win it again, you win again. And you know, that that's not the reality, but I can't accept any other possibility that's success there. But I think broader success is for us. We ain't one and done. We're here. We're an anchor part of this community. Um, when you talk about Calgary, you talk about the surge. And it's not at the expense of talking about anything else. Mm-hmm. But you think Calgary, you think the Calgary surge. That's success year one. Well, I'm excited for you. It's, it's so cool to see someone with a passion and a vision like yours. Um, and I, I listen, I would have called them the BAM Fighting Squirrels. Or I would have made... <laughs> But your vision is so intriguing to me, and I can't wait to see how it plays itself out. I'd be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity of having you here and asking you two quick city questions because, again, of the work that we do at Sport Carry, but also your work as a political commentator. Um, 
Commonwealth Games bid coming out earlier this week. Good, bad. You, you have you fallen on a position on this? I mean, I'm all for whatever my city wants. I think to me, secret sauce. You what did you use? A, uh, magic dust. Yeah, fairy dust. Fairy yeah, dust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's Edmonton, Calgary, and Sutena. Right. That was very again intentional and and really speaks to I think somewhere we've gotten here. I, I yeah. I'm fascinated by that part. Yeah, I, I think you know, and I haven't you know been as close to this this bid effort uh, uh, as in previous sort sure. of city building conversations, just because the demands of this city building project uh, <laughs> uh, of our own. But I know there's some great people involved. <clears throat> I like that there's a a regional collaboration approach to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we, we the, the the job, and I think this is the responsibility of any time you are asking for public support for anything. This is a responsibility that we have borne. I don't care if it's coming from government. I don't care if it's coming from a private business. Anytime you are going to the mass public, anytime you're going to Calgary, this amorphous blob of beauty that is 1.4 some odd million people, you're asking for public trust. And I think the way you go about asking for that public trust is by being credible, is by being transparent, is by being very clear about who the beneficiaries are mm-hmm. and being very clear about what the trade-offs are. One of the things that I'm I'm proud of, even though you know it was very contentious at the time in the in the 2026 Olympic conversation, was you know I would get asked this question, and I was on the position that we should yep. we should go for it. Yep. Um, but people would ask me, you know, so so to what frames that position? I said, let me be clear. I think there are reasons we shouldn't do this. That in and of itself is such an important acknowledgement and validation. And I would I would just encourage behind the scenes because the, from the great people that I know are involved, not knowing enough about the mechanics of how Commonwealth really uh, really works. Right. I would say to acknowledge the fact there may be reasons not to assess what those are, and then say with confidence why the reasons to do it trump the reasons to not. Uh, and I look forward to hearing just, uh, you know, like any other citizen, what those reasons are. And if they outweigh the reasons to not, let's do it. If they don't, let's not. One does not beget the other. And I don't believe we're connected, but I have seen you connected with the conversation about the field house. Surely to God, we're going to get this done. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing momentum. Okay. Um, and again, there's an overlay with the conversation we were just having about mm-hmm. the bid. Um, so I, again, I, I don't know the mechanics of that. What I care about is the fact that this is a basic piece of infrastructure in a major city, in a growing city, aimed at families, aimed at attracting as well some events, which again, we cannot let that advantage from an economic perspective go away. And we can't let it fall on the altar of, hey, it's a weird name. Fieldhouse, and we don't know what that means. Call it big, accessible public sport bubble. I don't care, but but we we need sport and recreation facilities. We need facilities that are more centrally located, especially as we're closing down some of those central centrally yep. located locations. Uh, we need to make sure that they're not at the farthest flung areas of Calgary, and we need to make sure they're accessible. There are very few silver bullets, if any. I don't know how you see the visuals of a community fieldhouse where people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Can play indoors in a winter city, uh, soccer, futsal, frisbee, basketball, you name it, and also run track and also attract some events that are going to be great, don't have to run to Edmonton for I don't know how that's not a no-brainer. So I advocated for it at City Hall. I was proud to stand with the Fieldhouse Society, Jason Zarin. But, but maybe this is the last point I'll make on that. It's important for public figures and politicians and, and you name it to know that when we talk about the sport community, these are not just people who wear the banner of sport. These are people who are business people, who are in the arts, who are parents, who are kids. We need to embrace all of those perspectives and know that if we proceed with this, a big, wide community is standing behind that is not just in sport. They're involved in a whole host of things to give support to this project. And I would add that you and I both worked on a project that proves that out, the yeah. Active City Collective. 100%. It's right, all the information's right there. That yeah. is not, you know, it's not words just coming out of your mouth. That's, that's fact, as we like to say on this year program. <laughs> Science, fact. Um, if I want to buy a surge hat, where do I go again? Calgary. I'll go slow this time. Yeah. Calgarysurge.ca slash shop. They actually might be sold out, so you'll have to check. Oh, okay. But but um, uh, that's where you can go get your tickets. Okay. Uh, follow us at Calgary Surge on, on all platforms. And like I said, stay tuned because uh, flex packs are coming. Single game tickets are coming. And on the season ticket side, we've, we've beat every projection we've had. So uh, we're expecting a full house here. You're a good man, brother. Appreciate, Appreciate this. this. Likewise. Is, this is just the first. I can't wait to get coach. Can't get, wait, wait to get your general manager there. Uh, just put up on the screen a little bit of the work uh, that you can expect to see in our city when it comes to basketball. That was last weekend at the uh, at, at Jack Simpson with the uh, UFC and U of A. Yep. We don't have to talk about the result. Yeah, so that's no. not your fault. No, 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 and, no, no, and no. not as a you know the husband of an alumni and a current U yeah. Calgary PhD candidate. I wasn't. Yeah. A, I wasn't upset at all. But uh, no. yeah, no, no, no. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, brother. Jason Ribeiro, everybody, uh, joining us from the Calgary Surge. Just a couple of minutes, we're going to hook up with our good friend Eric Dehachuk from The Athletic. Coming up on Sunday, immediately following the Flames and the Ottawa Senators, it will be after Burner. Uh, as soon as that Flames game ends, we fire it up live. Uh, join myself and Pinder on Sunday uh, for uh, after Burner. So that's coming up. Oh, uh, today's, by the way, today's reading assignment, um, we, we did this one a, a little while ago. We did the uh, NHL or the 99, NHL 99 project as a reading assignment on show number three, I believe. So I didn't want to put it up again. And had I been a little bit uh, uh, better uh, or patient, how about patient? Let's go with patient. 
I would have put up uh, just an outstanding article uh, that showed up on the uh, Athletic today, uh, written by a number of their key hockey reporters, including Arthur Staple and Mike Russo, talking about the Russian uh, pride problem that the NHL has. Nope, nope, I wasn't patient. Instead, I picked this one. Today's reading assignment, Alex Sherman from CNBC WWE in talks with state gambling regulators to legalize betting on scripted match results. Yes, that's what I chose as today's reading assignment. So the WWE, which is for sale, would like to increase its value by having people able to gamble on wrestling matches. But Rob, wrestling is fake. Uh, it's sports entertainment, kids. But you know what else? Uh, they're, they've, <laughs> they're working with Ernst Young. You know what Ernst Young does? They're the, uh, the, the people of record for the Oscars. And you can gamble. You can, in some states, gamble on the results of the Oscars. So the WWE making the case that you should be able to gamble on the results of WrestleMania. I am almost positive that our next guest has no thoughts on this, so I won't even I wouldn't even do that to him. He is the Hall of Famer, longtime friend. Uh, I've often said it. My favorite single piece of work that I've ever had the part of being was the East West Hot Stove with him and our good friend Al Morganti. And there's a little story hopefully we'll share today. Uh, but he writes for the Athletic. He was in charge, I believe, oversaw the NHL 99 project. Eric DeHatchuk joins us this afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm good. You're not going to give me a chance to weigh in on that. No, I did not. I was not. Well, first of all, I was not aware of that until you outlined it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's completely preposterous. <laughs> so now I'm going to have to go and read that. <laughs> well, I, I read it and, you know, it, it, to me, and it, it, it allows us to morph into a hockey conversation. It's where we're at in the world right now that especially in the United States that, that the there's so much money being spent on, on sports gambling and it's become yeah. so powerful and so popular that if you're the WWE, why wouldn't you look at a way to get people to engage your sport like, or your product like that, especially if you're trying to sell it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a great point. Uh, I, you know, let's, t- let's turn it to the national hockey league. Uh, you know, I, there's, there's an opportunity, I, I think on some of these, uh, these betting websites to to bet on NHL awards um, mm-hmm. winners and and you know there's a very small group of us in the Professional Hockey Writers Association that votes on it and and I, what I will tell you is this that um, you know nowadays I, I think there's like 150 or so people that vote but when it was a 21 team NHL and there were three voters per city. I, 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 even though they kept the, the results secret, virtually every time for every award, I knew who'd won because the people who are voting are my friends. A lot of times, even in the run-up to the awards, if I didn't know, you know, what kind of a year had, you know, Bobby Clark had in Philadelphia this year compared to other years, I'd call Jay Greenberg and he would pick my brain about what was going on in Calgary. So there was a dialogue that was going on among the voters. And so it was pretty clear who the winners were. Now, Gambling wasn't as as uh, ubiquitous as, as it is today. Uh, right. Probably harder to do, and, and gambling is something that you know it's nice that I haven't partaken of. So it, you know, I didn't I didn't go forward with that knowledge. But I was, but there was a part of me that was thinking that you know, like I could tell you that the MVP this year is going to be you know Eric Lindros, not Yarmir Yager, or vice versa, with with a fairly good degree of certainty. And and, and I would suggest that um, that you could do straw polls and 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 find these things out so 
there's a slippery slope there when when sure when when teams and leagues and people get involved in in gambling and it will be interesting to see how this evolves because we are clearly in in the infancy of this but uh, i do see you know i mean connor mcdavid is doing commercials with wayne gretzky they're wildly entertaining um you know austin matthews I'm is sure you're commercial. using that term right well <laughs> well they can be entertaining and still be you know bad right yes. you know, yeah. I, mean, okay. I, I mean some yeah, of the best nice. some of the best sports commercials featuring sports um personalities are are the ones that 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 make you cringe and and you know like uh, anyway i and i'm not suggesting that that they did that i actually like the the first one that uh, that that connor and and wayne did not the the zamboni driving one but the one where you know wayne was being distracted by his phone and and connor was not allowed to come i thought that was pretty clever and especially the line about shouldn't you be out golfing i I, the first time i heard that i laughed out loud so i thought that was pretty good but it but it's uh it, it is a complete about face for the national hockey league i remember Years and years ago, you know, I, I would once or you know every year or every couple of years sit down with Gary Bettman in his office in New York, and and gambling was the verboten, and gambling was this, and gambling was that, and now suddenly, you know, every other commercial on a broadcast, mm-hmm. signboards, uh, you know, uh, programming within within you know intermission reports is is focused on on gambling. It's it's extraordinary how in a very short period of time it has right. become part of the fabric of, of the presentation. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I feel a little bit uneasy about it because in the same way that sometimes the industry that I'm in has has evolved because there are so many people with, with so many different voices and so many different platforms to, to, yeah. to, 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 to state their opinions that, that, you know, real news and reported news sometimes, you know, gets mixed in with with people here's what i think and here's what i see and you know i still try to do it the old-fashioned way which is you know well old-fashioned now it's texting managers you don't call them out of the blue anymore but uh, but but it but but it but it is you know like a you know there's a few of us that are still sort of working sources and trying to get information from from decision makers and and then there's a whole lot of other people who are just you know guessing and 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 uh so it's it's a complicated world that we live in and and all of us i think are just trying to sort of navigate our way through you know whatever the modern realities are you you and i have not done this since 2018 that's when i retired from radio we talked a lot but we haven't done this and it's interesting just and in full disclosure obviously the, the nation network uh the, the flames nation has a a great uh, sports gambling partner for barn burner and what they do. And I, I accept that that's part of the world. And it, it fascinates me because of how quickly, I mean, in 2018, that didn't exist yet here now for sports, the NHL in particular, uh, you know, shows like this wouldn't exist without their backing. They have replaced a lot of advertising that has left the marketplace that has left traditional media and really was supposed to be sports gambling and crypto. And now we're seeing that market uh, fall apart from a business standpoint. You know, the, certainly the NHL has to, has to embrace it. Don't they in the short term, Eric? Well, I, I think that uh, again, if you, if you were to pump a the sodium penthol or truth serum into, into Gary Bettman, that he would have seen this, the timing of this as a great opportunity because of course the national hockey league during the COVID-19 pandemic Mm -hmm. lost a lot of, uh, lost a lot of revenue. I mean, there were, you know, two, two seasons that were disrupted by, uh, 
by the cancellation of games, um, it, it you know the the playoffs in, in you know in the summer of 2020 were were in a bubble and 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 run basically I think just to keep the uh, to keep their broadcast contracts uh, viable and so so when when the gambling laws changed in the, in the United States um, and and it, it became like a reasonable thing for for the mm-hmm. league to to partner with the, the you know the various partners that they have. Um, they saw it as, as an opportunity to replace some of that lost revenue. And, and when you talk, when you listen to Gary Bettman's, you know, semi-annual State of the Unions, and he's talking about how they not only have they got the business back on track, but they are going to, you know, in a very short period of time, start establishing record revenues. It's because they've managed to get people back in the seats. So the traditional box office is back. And now in yep. addition to that, these, these gambling, uh, revenues mm-hmm. are, are just, you know, are pouring into their coffers too. So, you know, ultimately Gary Bettman is running a business and, and the change in, in the gambling laws has been good for business. And so we'll yep. see what the consequences are five years from now, 10 years from now, will we be having a discussion about gambling addiction in the same way that we are having a discussion about head injuries and, and CTE, that, that mm-hmm. whole notion of, of unintended consequences is still, you know, very much up for debate Absolutely. as to, to where it's going to go. But, but you, you would have to think that, that there will be, um, there will be some casualties. Um, if people think that, you know, I, I mean, most of these gambling ads now seem to have some sort of a, of a qualifier at the end, you know, gamble responsibly, here are the limits, so on and so forth. So I hope mm-hmm. people are actually listening to those, uh, to those statements rather than just sort of dismissing them out of hand. But um but I, you know, I fear sometimes that, you know, human beings are, there's a weakness to everybody and, and vulnerabilities uh, to everybody. And, and I think there some vulnerable people will, will, will be in, in trouble because of this. So it's a, it's a, it's a mushy ethical question. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's one that the NHL particularly wants to, to address head on, because as I say, they, it seems to me at any rate that they feel that by, by telling people to gamble responsibly, that they are um, they are meeting their side of uh, of the ethical bargain. We'll see. Speaking of mushy ethical questions, uh, <laughs> no, and and I I wouldn't normally do this, but you're you know when you you know when you and I were younger, we'd be considered sportsmen. Now that has a different terminology, but we're fans of sport. We follow sport and everything. How do we like mushy ethical question? How do we view Pete Rose now? Like, cause that was always a, you know, a lightning rod that was red meat on sports talk radio. Let's talk about Pete Rose. You throw that out there. It was easy to be black and white on Pete Rose, but talk about mushy ethical questions. Yeah. And I don't have a good answer for you because it's not something I've given a lot of thought to. I, I mean, I think that, you know, what he did, my limited understanding of that, cause I don't follow baseball very closely is that the things that, that uh, that he was doing would would probably well would they be okay now I don't know uh, you know there was a football player I wish I could remember his that's name. right yeah uh, there was there was an NFL player that just got yeah. uh, his suspension got lifted got reinstated because he yeah. he was betting on games so it's still it's I mean it's still you are not allowed to to bet on sports so that part of the equation I yeah. don't think has changed and nor nor should it uh, you know uh, I yeah I, I you know I, honestly I don't have a good answer for that Rob because I I just don't know the full details of 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 that uh although it you know as you say uh the the world that we live in today seems to be mm. a lot more forgiving 
of uh, of the idea of of you know placing a small wager on something, especially if it's not your team. I mean, if it's sure. if you're if you're betting on the team that you are playing for, either for or against, then I don't think that it, that's not a mushy ethical question. That is a breach no, no. of ethics, and Absolutely. and you cannot do that. And and the league will always the leagues will always come down hard on. Uh, on 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 players that are that are gambling on on their own sports gambling on other sports well that's you know you you know you i mean you hear you know people even even you know uh, i was watching the tnt broadcast the other day and uh you know rick talkett went into uh a game mm-hmm. and he put you know he said in the post-game interview i put my i had money on the board you know so you know is you know there have been times when people from the NHL frown upon the idea oh, sure. of doing that, even though yeah. it is, a, you know, Comment a, a tradition in, in the sport. So, I don't know. We we could, I suppose, yeah. debate this back and forth for for a long period of time. But uh, but um, anyway, I'm I, I'm done with that because I want to go to something that you know okay. all about that uh-huh. is ethically superior and and morally superior to anything else that I have read in an awful long time. That's the NHL 99 product on Athletic. Now, I know it's been over for a while now, Eric, but uh, for those who don't have the Athletic, this is a great reason to go and get a subscription and go back. Can you walk us through this project, your role in it, and also, because I have a little inside information, how much fun this was for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah, so what, what happened was, um, you know, uh, so starting, you know, I've been at The Athletic almost six years right now. And mm-hmm. and right at the beginning of my time there, the, the Athletic ran a series naming the 100 greatest players in, in baseball history. And it was really well received. And it was a little bit, you know, charged because I don't think Babe Ruth was voted number one. But it, it was it was very, very popular and, and very, very well done. So we had, at the time, four major verticals at the Athletic, you know, Major League Baseball, basketball, football, and hockey. And very soon after the baseball project ran, the NFL did a project and basketball did a project. And hockey was the one vertical that was was lagging behind. And then there was a period of time right around now last year where the Athletic was taken over by the New York Times. And I think that the, you know, the, the people... That we that I work for the the editors were waiting for direction from the new owners. Should we continue down this right. this path? Because because it was already in motion, but but not a lot had been done up until that point. And and they were told, yes, please do. You know, let's uh, let let's press on with it. And so beginning in April and May, um, we, they, we formed a committee. There were nine of us that that voted, uh, uh, and basically it was it was a very simple thing. Everybody voted for 100 players from one mm-hmm. to 100. And, and, you know, if, if you voted Wayne Gretzky one, he got a hundred points. And if you voted Bobby or two, which I did, he got 99. And at the end of the day, we came up with a merged list. And then f- once we had the list, then it was a matter of assigning the writing to, to the members of our staff. So we have, I think 40 to 45 full-time hockey writers at, at the athletic. And I ended up with, I think 14 of them in, in the end, because I inherited a couple um, at, at the 11th hour, but, um, but it was, it was, it was really fun because, you know, when I joined the athletic in the first place, that was, that was the pitch that James Myrtle, my, my boss made to me, you know, I'd been at the Globe and Mail for 17 years, wonderful job, but sports was uh, falling in, in terms of importance at on the totem pole there. And, uh, 
and James said, you know, come to join the athletic. We're, we're a new entity. We're going to have the energy a, a, of a startup and we are going to do long form journalism because there's, there's a, a void yeah. for that. So that's what, what I signed up for uh, in, in the first place. And this allowed me to, to, to spend six to nine months of my life, you know, doing these things. And, and when you have that much lead time, you can, you can do them right now. I will say this. So I, I get assigned, I think I had 12 to start. So you open 12 separate files, Rob, that's imagine <laughs> trying to read 12 separate books at, at the same time. And, and then, so, you know, you, you start the, them, you put them all in motion at the same time. Some are easier to get than others. There were a couple of people, you know, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. Um, you know, I ended up doing Rob Blake, uh, Paul Correa, Luke Robitaille. So these were people that were, you know, within a drive of where I was not that difficult to, to, to sit down and do a really, really extensive, extensive interviews uh, with them. Um, the draft being in Montreal was convenient because I had Serge Savard and, uh, and Guy Lapointe. Uh, it was actually one of the, 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 the single saddest moment of this project was, was trying to interview Guy. Um, when, when we were in Montreal for the draft, he was suffering from COVID. He still was having some residual effects from the cancer treatment that he'd had. And so this vibrant, full of life personality that, you know, coached three years in Calgary as an assistant, you know, to see him diminish like that, it was really hard. It was really, really hard to, 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 to accept that because, you know, he just, you know, he, he was just, you know, just a, a, a shell of, of, of the person that, that I remember and that, that so many people remember and, and certainly anybody that remembers him on the ice as such a dynamic player. And, and it was, and then of course that was such a contrast to, to Serge Savard, who was 76, 77 and still full of life and as strong as ever. And Serge and I were on the hall of fame selection committee for, we overlapped 10, 11, 12 years. So I got to know him pretty well. And we, we just had a, a great conversation. He's still the same person that he always was he gave a great speech at, at the draft so to compare and contrast the these two that was that was fascinating um you know getting an opportunity i've written a lot about bobby Orr uh, over the years uh to me you know like in, in terms of watchability uh he was just one of the most electric players that i've ever had the opportunity to to watch and uh, met him once when I was at a hockey school. I was at the Jim Pappen hockey school as a kid and Bobby Orr came by for a visit. Brad Park was our instructor and uh, just in awe, I think it was after his rookie NHL season. So he'd already left Oshawa and uh, he stood there, signed autographs for everyone. And it was like, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, just to be able to, you know, to, to write sure. about, about Bobby and his impact. I remember I called Harry, Harry Sinden. Another guy that was on a Hall of Fame selection committee for a lot of years with me, and uh, and uh, you know Harry, you know he's he's turned ninety. He says, you know Eric, I don't remember everything with the same clarity that I once did. I said, what do you remember the first time you saw Bobby Orr? Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean he, he remembered every detail of it. And then he talked about you know seeing him the first time and having him come to the first Bruins training camp and how difficult right. it was to coach him in some ways because he said he had this special talent. And, and and you never really ever had anything negative to say about him, but he felt that, you know, sometimes you needed to say something, Bobby, you need to do a better job at this because he wanted to be a team guy and he didn't want the players to feel he was getting special treatment. It was, it was a very interesting, complex relationship that, uh, that Harry and Bobby had and, and just, you know, exploring that again. And, and especially for, we have a younger readership, you know, yeah. so a lot of the people that were reading these profiles, 
never saw Bobby Orr play, or if they have, they've seen him on, on the highlights. Uh, I mean, a lot of them didn't see Giva Point play. A lot of them didn't see Serge Savard play. So many of the great players in that 72 Summit Series. If you if you watch the you know the CBC documentary on it, you learned a little bit about them. But mm-hmm. um, I think you know that was one of the the more heartening things for me was to you know have readers jump in and, and say um, you know. I didn't know that about uh, about player X, and and it was just you know all this fascinating details about their life and times as pro- professional hockey players, and then what they're doing in, in their in their in their current you know whatever they're they're doing. So it was really fun. I mean, it took over my life, but as I said in the column, that it, I, I mean that in a good way. It was it was just yep. really a, a rabbit hole or fourteen different rabbit holes to go down that were that were really enjoyable. And 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 I think for the most part, I mean, there was a lot of you know, discussion back and forth. It shouldn't, you know, Wayne Gretzky shouldn't be number one. It should be Mario. It should be Bobby Orr. Um, why did you exclude the players of the pre-expansion era? You know, various things like that. But for the most sure. part, I think the, that a lot of people just enjoyed reading the profiles and, and appreciated the time and effort that went in, in, into producing them. And yeah, for me, it was just, um, you know, really labor of love. It's such a cliche, but it really was fun. I really enjoyed doing it. It was it was energizing, I, I guess, is as, as a good a way as any of saying it. As someone who was kind of shepherding the project along, I mean, you know, the analytics era, if you will, has, has in, introduced a lot of words. One of them is recency bias. How did yeah. you how did you deal with recency bias or how did you view, you know, recency bias in this list? Well, and, and uh, you know, what I would tell you is that because I was by far the oldest person in, in involved in it, I, I, I almost took the opposite. In fact, I asked someone, I said, what is the opposite of recency bias? You know, like old timers bias? I, I don't even know what, what it is. Old school. But I did. Being old school. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I did. Like there, there would be times when, when you'd have, a, you know, like two players side by side. You know, like I remember one particularly, I think it was Yvonne Cornway versus Martin St. Louis. So a lot of similarities in, in, in many ways in terms of the, t- of the style of hockey that they play, right. um, you know, the the, uh, you know, the impact that they had. I mean, you know, Yvonne Cornway, if you look at the start of his career, it, it was he wasn't like an instant star. He started, you know, on the on the fourth line, worked his way up, but eventually became a really important player there. And um, and, you know, and, and of course, Martin St. Louis began in Calgary. Uh, eventually found his stride as, as a superstar in, in Tampa, won a cup, you know, won some major awards. And and, and I think I was probably the only, like, to me, it was, you know, you could, you could put one on the list, but not the other. I think I had Cornway on my list. I think the other eight voters all had had Martin St. Louis. Um, I was pretty sure that I wouldn't be able to get Yvonne Cornway on the list, but I felt that that someone had to at least make the case right. for the argument on right. on his behalf. And and what I would tell you is that we did have, so in terms of process, we, we everyone submitted their preliminary lists, and then we got we got together on a Zoom call and 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 discussed, you know, the names that were there and the names that that were left off. And uh, as as you well know, if if you're trying to, because this is the same dynamic as uh, on the Hall of Fame selection committee, sure. you, you can't you can't argue ten cases because if you argue ten cases all 10 will fall on deaf ears. So for me, it was a matter of, you know, like who do I feel is, is really needs to be on this list that isn't, and then try to make a compelling case on their behalf. And, you know, some, you, you convince some people and, and other yeah. people you can't, and that that's the nature of, of, of a discussion like this. And so, um, so I, you know, I won a few and, and, and lost quite a few, but, uh, 
Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think we, we, you know, we have some really, really talented young writers at, at the athletic, like I, I'm, I'm in awe of, of the work that, you know, that Don Lecician does that Sean Gentile does that Shana Goldman, uh, does uh, the three of them are, are superstars in the making as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, and, you know, and they have, you know, the, uh, 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 not a bias towards an, an analytics, but, but they rely heavily on, on analytics sure. in, in, in their analysis of hockey. And, and I, you know, rely on it a little bit, but I still rely on, on the eye test. You know, I've told you this before, Rob, that, you know, I'll be in a press box watching a game. And the minute the puck is dropped, I'll fold my computer screen down and, and start watching the game. But if I look up and down press row on, e on either side, most of my colleagues are still staring at their screens and they're on Twitter and they're doing this and they're doing that. And then if there's a crowd noise, they might look up at the screen and see that. And I thought, OK, well, you know, that's the modern way to cover hockey, but that's not the way that I do it. I try to watch the game and then not just the puck, but see the dynamic on the bench. Look at what's happening behind the play. Just try to, to take in the whole picture and form impressions. Right. And, and that's that's how I've always operated. And that's how you had to operate in the old mm -hmm. days, because in the old days, we didn't always even have a game on television. If you didn't see when it went in, you'd have to say, what happened there, George? You know, or did you see it? I didn't see it. I mean, so it, it's changed and evolved a lot over the years. And I'm not even suggesting that there's necessarily a right and a wrong way to do things. I just know that that's the way that I like to do things. So it's NHL 99. It's still up the athletic. It's worth the subscription just to go read it. In a bygone era, it would have been a hell of a Christmas book, right? That would have been put together and would have come out at Christmas as a, as a book. Yeah. And, and, and I do think, Rob, that the plan is to publish it as a book uh, at some oh, point really? down the road. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That, that, that cool. will be. Now, I don't know when, and I, right. I'm not sure that it will necessarily be for Christmas this year. But yes, that the, the <laughs> plan is to is to publish an actual hardcover oh. version uh, of this book. And, it, and, it, and here's the other thing I would say about it before we leave this topic mm -hmm. is that, so I, uh, to me, there were two other uh, of these projects involving, you know, the greatest of all time. One was the NHL one in, in 2017. Yep. And, and, and so I've, I was part of the committee on, on that one. And, but the difference between that one was it was the entire, it was the hundred years of, of the national hockey league. So it was strictly, you know, the impact that, that players had in the NHL. Um, and, and, and it wasn't, there was no ranking. So, you know, like I, I, I looked at my list I, while I was doing this thing, I think Sid Abel was my, because you did it alphabetically was at the top of my list. And I think Steve Eisenman was, was the, the hundredth name on it, but, uh, but that, but that's different. And, and in some ways, you know, like it, I think it's just because it was an NHL sponsored thing and they don't want to create any tension among the greatest players in the game. They didn't want right. that debate to be, is mm -hmm. it Gretzky? Is it, or is it Lemieux? Is it how, you know, that kind of a yeah. thing. But the other one, and, and I, I was also involved in this one was in 1997, 98, the hockey news began by doing a top 50 players of all time. I think Steve, Steve Dryden was the editor at the time and he spearheaded it and it was quite successful. So they, they expanded it into a top 100 players of, of all time. And uh, I was doing quite a bit of work for the hockey news in those days. So I wrote the future watch for, for that. So the published book had the top 100, uh, 50 longer profiles and then 50, you know, thumbnail sketches. And then, you know, five players coming through the ranks uh, that haven't um, had a long enough uh, career at this point, but if you know we're doing this again in, in ten years, we'll be moving up the list. And then a further, you know, here are some newcomers in the game that have have just barely arrived in the NHL, yeah. but will uh, but will make an impact somewhere down the road. And I went back and looked at it, and it was interesting because 
you know, Paul Greer was on that futures list. He made it. Uh, Jerome McGinley was on that futures list. He made it. But Brian Burrard, Brian mm. Burrard, not not mm. Connor, Brian Burrard, who won the Rookie of the Year ahead of Jerome McGinley, but had his career shortened because of that eye injury. He I was agree. he was someone that we anticipated would be one of the all time greats, and uh, and for whatever reason, you know, and largely because of injury, I think, yeah, you know, it, it didn't materialize. And so that is always the most difficult thing about about careers that are incomplete. Like right now we have Connor McDavid at, I think we had him at 16. And, and, and someone at the end of it said, you know, well, where do you think Connor McDavid will end up? And a lot of our writers said, oh, he, you know, 10, eight, six, really soon, you know, maybe as high as four or three. And I said, I think he's going to be one. I think when all is said and done, Connor McDavid will be the greatest player in the history of the National Hockey League. He, he may not score as many points as Wayne Gretzky. He may not, you know, have the sort of that that it factor that that Bobby Orr had. Although his it factor is pretty great too. But yeah. if he ha- if he has a long career and if he stays healthy, I, I I mean, you know, you watch him night after night after night. He's incredible, and 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 especially the way the game is played today. You know, there's just no shortcuts in the game today, Rob. You know, we think about, you know, the, the guys that were playing in the 80s. I mean, there was lots and lots of open ice and there was it was ju- it was just a different game. Uh, I'm not saying it was easier to play because the top players were still still the top players. But, boy, you have to have a special skill set to be able to play in today's game with the way, you know, pressure comes at you from the defense, from the other forwards, making those decisions in, in split seconds, finding those seams in the zone. I mean, it, 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 so much of it is hockey instinct and and. And 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 then the skill level on on top of that. So I think there were times when you know you, you could play in the National Hockey League in, in the eighties and nineties with you know some skills, but not every skill. And, and that's hard to do in in today's NHL. So, um, but you know, as of, of this, well, mm-hmm. we voted based on the end of last season. So this breakout year that Connor McDavid had does not influence the um, you know the voting, but but probably. Uh, you know, if we voted again, you know, in, in at the end of this season, he would he would certainly be higher up on the list. Um, we uh, we established a 400 games played criteria because um, I think that's what uh, how many games you have to play in the NHL to qualify for a pension. And the yep. discussion because this discussion came right after last year's playoffs. So there's Kale McCarr having this otherworldly playoffs. Absolutely. And, and 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 uh, you know a, a defensive season for all time, one defensive season for all time, and this young kid from, you know, just outside of Calgary, um, you know, there were people on our panel that said, you know, can we put him on? And I said, well, you know, you you got if you put him on, then then you have to you know lower the standard to 193 games because I think that's how many he played in the NHL up until that. This is essentially a lifetime achievement award. We're leaving off. Hall of Famers. We're leaving off players that had have won ten Stanley Cups. That's to me the definition of recency bias. Like I think Kale mm-hmm. McCarr has a chance to be one of the top five defensemen in history. But let's see where his career goes. You know, we can't anticipate where it's going to go. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he he has, you know he is just at the very very beginnings of what could be a, and, and should be a fantastic NHL career. But as of this moment. Right. He is not one of the 500 greatest players of all time. That 
you know, 10 years from now when I'm long retired and they do this project again, he'll be on the list. And 15 years from now, he could be in the top 10. But uh, but it's challenging to do that. And, and it creates debates and arguments. And I think that's part of, you know, something you were referring to earlier yep. in our conversation. It's part of the, the charm of sport is that you have these discussions. You know, yep. the number of people who have come up to me afterwards and say, you're wrong. It's not Wayne Gretzky. It's Bobby Orr. That's the greatest player of all time. But I have no counter argument to that. You know, these are, you know, yeah. generational players who had such an impact on the game that how do you pick and choose between, you know, different levels of greatness. But I will say this, you know, during the, when, when I voted on the hockey news list, I, I, I was already debating that is it Gretzky or is it Gretzky or, and then you just stare at the points that Gretzky had and the gap between him and the next, and you just, you had to write Gretzky's name. And so I had Gretzky first then. And then I thought if I'm consistent, you know, neither really has, you know, like Wayne retired soon after that hockey news list came out and Bobby Orr hadn't played in a long time. You know, if, if you're trying to be consistent in, yep. in terms of your th rational thought, then it's still Gretzky. But, but Bobby Orr was pretty great. And guess what? Mario was pretty great too. So, you know, it, it, it's hard to, it, I, I have no uh, response to the people who, who, who firmly believe that, that Bobby Orr is the greatest player or, or that Mario Lemieux is. I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. You, you could be right. <laughs> you, you might you, be right. You, you could be right. Um, which brings us to a new debate, which one that I never thought we would have. And it's going to be a debate between two Edmonton Oilers, um, Connor McDavid and Wayne Gretzky. Uh, you covered the league in both cases. Gretzky was 214, right? Was his point total? Um, that's well, his was it 16 wasn't it? 16, but I don't okay. have the books. I don't have it. I'm just going off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, a lot of points. Yeah. <laughs> I never, ever, ever thought that that was a debate we were going to have. I, you know, longevity. Yeah. Ovechkin could catch the goal total, but I never thought the, you know, that breakout pop season. I mean, McDavid's having, he's, you know, to use other people's terminologies, lap the field. Mm -hmm. um, he's having one, a season you know, an 82 game stretch. Well, he's got to get yeah. to the 82, but you know what I'm saying here? He's having sure. a season for the ages, right? He absolutely is. And and if he continues on this scoring pace, he will have a, a, a I think he's projected to, before he got shut out last night, he was projected for 156. So it's still going to be over 150 points. There's, there hasn't been very many players right. that have scored 150 points in, in a single NHL season. And no one has come close in the era that we're in right now. So that that's always one of the, the, the yep. challenging things because you do have to era adjust for stats that sure you, you know do. that that the way the game was played in the 80s was different than the way it was played when the new jersey devils you know mm -hmm. sort of ushered in the, the dead puck era and you know jamie ben is winning scoring titles with i think 87 points so um and and we've kind of you know luckily you know come out of that that era and we're trending back towards you know the type and style of hockey that we we saw in the 80s which is just much you know, more pleasing to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the season that McDavid is having this year, I think rivals some of the greatest seasons that Wayne Gretzky ever had. And, and what I would tell you is, I think it must have been three years ago now that um, I always write like an essay at the, at the start of every season. And, and I think I, I've always done something on, is this the year that McDavid pulls away from, from, from the pack? Um, because because that's what would happen with Wayne Gretzky at a certain point, and it happened with Mario Lemieux at a certain point. By the time they got their fourth or fifth season, all of a sudden it wasn't just they weren't winning the scoring title by twenty or twenty five points; they were winning by fifty, and and you know, and by you know, in, enormous 
uh, wins. And and up until this year, every time I wrote that, I was wrong because you know there you know one year Kucherov won the scoring title, another year Drysaitel did, and you know McDavid had some injury issues along the way. Um, but you know we started to see it last year, where to me, I mean, you know Austin Matthews won the heart because of his his goal scoring, but. I voted for McDavid and and thought he was the most valuable player in the league. And I thought he had already distanced himself from the next best player in, in the National Hockey League. And then you watch the way he plays now. And yep. and to me, the gap between one and two is is a chasm. It, it's enormous. And again, if he stays healthy and if he continues to like he is he is in his prime right now. He is just yep. in his prime. And and you know, there's no reason to think again assuming good health that he can't you know play at this level for four five six who knows how many years i mean he's, a, he's an incredibly talented athlete he's an incredibly driven athlete mm-hmm. and and you know if if he can play if he has the will to play 20 years and if he has the health to play 20 years you know he probably won't put up the you know the, the points that gretzky did because again a different era but but you know when you think about the way you know Wayne tapered off towards the last you know five, six, seven years of, uh, of his career. Um, I don't know. You know the McDavid's skill set leads me to believe that that he can play at a high level for a long period of time. So yeah, it's it's special. I, I don't know how you know people in Calgary can separate themselves from the fact that that you know he's playing in Edmonton. That's the Flames' you know primary rival. Um, you know, or can you just appreciate as a hockey fan, um, you know, the, the level that he is able to bring night after night and the things that he's able to do. And even if you're, you know, even if you're not watching 60 minutes of every Oilers game, you know, if you click on the highlights at, at the end of the night, you know, invariably there's, you know, something extraordinary that McDavid has managed to, to, to conjure up out of, out of nothing. And it's, it's yeah. fun to watch. If you care yeah. about the sport, if you care about the sport of hockey, how can you not enjoy watching what Connor McDavid is is doing uh, right now? It's it's. Really I just never something. thought we'd see. It. I just never thought we'd see it again. Yeah, yeah I, I thought the bar was more Sidney Crosby. Not to take anything away from him or Ovechkin, but yeah. they were never, you know, as dynamic. Never, yeah. yeah, and and now it's it just it's flashbacks to the early eighties. Sure. Yeah. And, and so, and, 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 uh, you know, and Rob, I don't generally pay attention to junior hockey because it's enough just, just to try to pay yep. attention to the national sure. hockey, but like everybody else, I'm paying attention to, to Connor Bedard and, and at every turn, uh, you know, you see something special. Um, you know, he, the poise in which he handles the interviews and, and mm-hmm. the, and the obligations that come from being, you know, a young superstar in, in the making, that's part of, 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 you know, reaching that, that, level that you know that Connor McDavid is at that Austin Matthews is at because because you can let the pressure overwhelm you you can let the attention overwhelm you if enough people are telling you you're the greatest thing ever you know it's dangerous to start to to believe that because maybe then you start taking shortcuts so you know every time I hear him interview I see this poised incredibly calm young young man and then you watch what he does on the ice and, and you think you know this this he's he's going to be special in his own way and and i hope that people don't you know try to pigeonhole him in because there is there's let's face it we all do that i look at him and i think a lot of Sidney crosby i see a lot of Sidney crosby in this guy yeah. and i keep saying don't do that you know let him be connor Bedard. don't pigeonhole him somewhere but but yeah sometimes you can't help it but it, it, it is going to be fun to see where he goes 
what kind of a support group that the team can can put around him because that's going to be really important and then you know how, how long does it take for him to to you know to become a, a star in the league and then a superstar in the league because you know as, as, i mean mcdavid has been fantastic from the moment that he arrived sure. but yeah you know what what are we in year eight i think and and now he's at a, a, a new level and so I think that that's, you know, logically what we're going to see with Connor Bedard. He'll come yeah. in and he will be an impact player right away. And, you know, potentially, you know, he could be a you know top 20 scorer in his first year and then just get better and better and better. And then maybe there'll be an explosion in year six or seven. And at that point, maybe, you know, McDavid will have plateaued and we'll start to see a little bit of, of, of you know, age creeping into his game and then Bedard is this you know face of, of the national hockey it's going to be interesting it's going to be interesting to watch what happens in the next you know seven to ten years with this young man's career because he looks really special and, sure does. and I don't generally I generally don't go out on a limb yeah. very often when it comes to young players because I've seen it go the other way you know where oh, yeah. people are ta- talking up a guy they're talking up a guy they're talking up a guy and and they, they and, and and they have good careers they have they have good national hockey league careers but they don't just you know, like dazzle the way um, it looks like he can do. Nobody talks about Jason Bond senior anymore. <laughs> um, well, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. There's, a, there's a few. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two news stories here before I let you go from this week, one from today. Let's deal with it first. The Philadelphia Flyers uh, relieving uh, Chuck Fletcher of his general manager duties. Um, I, I, Maybe there was some smoke to this fire last week with the James Van Riemsdyk non-trade. Yeah. Um, you know Philly. We it's a different market. It's a hockey market. It's it's got its own heartbeat. What do you make of the decision today? Well, the hardest thing for me is 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 because I like Chuck Fletcher so much. So again. Chuck Fletcher is Cliff Fletcher's son. So when mm-hmm. the Flames moved from Atlanta to Calgary, I was a young reporter covering the team for the first time. They had those offices in the Atco trailers beside the, the corral. June Yates was the gatekeeper for Cliff's office, but you know, you could always kind of get in to see him. And, and, and Chuck was around a lot and, 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 and Boots was around a lot. And it was, there was this family, family kind of an atmosphere that, that Cliff was trying to, to introduce. And Chuck was 13, you know, so I watched him grow up. He was a polite young man. And he went on to Harvard and, and uh, uh, you know, got an education and then did it the right way. You know, worked for Hockey Canada for a while, worked for Don Means' agency for a while, worked in various apprenticeships positions, then became the general manager in Minnesota. And, and I think he had, a, you know, he, he, he didn't jump up the ladder. He, he climbed every rung and uh, I thought did a really good job in Minnesota. You know, people forget in hindsight how applauded he was for getting, you know, Ryan Suter and, and Zach Parisi as free agents that one year where they were shopping around everybody and he ended up getting both of them. So, so that, you know, so I think he's had a, a good career in hockey, a really good career in mm-hmm. hockey, and he's re- one of the finest young men I've ever met. Then there's the professional side and, and just, a, to me, a, a whole series of very puzzling puzzling decisions in Philadelphia that that started almost from from the, the time he got there you know the the decisions he made in, in free agency like I, I remember thinking and I, I'm sure I think I wrote this too that when they signed Kevin Hayes to that contract a number of years back it's like okay that's a that's a bad overpay but if the goal is to get, have Kevin Hayes in play place in Philadelphia so that when Johnny Goodrow becomes a, a free yeah. agent or a, approaches that and, you know, and Johnny, were, you know, at that, even at that point, there was that discussion. Is he going back to Philadelphia once his, you know, time in, in Calgary is, is over? It just felt like, okay, that's why Kevin Hayes is there. So then fast forward to this summer and all of a sudden Philly isn't bidding on Johnny Gaudreau. And then, 
you know, all of us, you know, certain the circumstances unfold and, and now Gaudreau is in, is in Columbus. So it made no sense. Why, yeah. you know, why didn't he bid for Gaudreau? Well, because he went out and spent his money on the, the Ristolainans and, and the D'Angelos. And, and those were just puzzling decisions. And I wrote in my column today that there was the asset management, which is what part of being a good general manager mm-hmm. in, in, in today's world is, was just completely befuddling to me you know he he gives two draft choices to to uh, arizona to take shane goss to spare off of their hands and then he trades three draft choices to get the negotiating rights for tony d'angelo and then signs him to a contract and i'm looking at them and i'm thinking well you know th- those guys run power plays there's you know baggage attached to both of them some off the ice some, some just you know in terms of defensive awareness and then Arizona trades Gostas Bear practically for free to Carolina, who uses him to replace uh, D'Angelo. And and the cost to, to Philadelphia of those moves is five draft choices, five draft choices. And essentially, you're back to where you start from, or in my view, not even as good as what you had before. So, you know, and that's just one illustration of 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 decisions that that puzzled and perplexed me and clearly as you know like philadelphia is one of 32 teams for me so i'm not paying that much attention to them but if you focus on that particular market um Mm. with that particular fan base um you know they're dissecting these things 10 times as as uh, as much as as i am and and it just you know the you know the the number of um you know, of pluses and then the number of minuses, it's, it's a very uneven uh, ledger sheet. And then, and part of it too is, is, you know, the, the vagaries of the game, you know, Sean Couturier, not healthy enough to play this year. Ryan Ellis, not healthy enough to play this year. Cam Atkinson can't play this year. So three really important pieces played a grand total of zero games for, for the Flyers this year. You know, Carter Hart, has bounced back a little bit, but there was a period of time where, you know, this great young goaltender, the you know, future goaltender for Team Canada, had a real tough time stopping the puck. So some of these things are beyond his control and mm-hmm. then some were within his control. But but it is one of those, it, that that's the nature of the industry, that, you know, a good person, but you're judged on your record and the record wasn't very good. And, and in, in some ways, you know, this is the worst possible season that Philadelphia could have had because they're not down there in that, group of four or five teams at the bottom that potentially could get a, a Connor Bedard. They're just far enough up yep. that you have to be really, really lucky in, in the draft lottery to move in to get an impact player and a difference maker. And that's a team that could really use, you know, a, a piece to build around. In, in, in many ways, if, again, if you if you waved a magic wand and say, okay, where, where would be the best place for a, a Connor Bedard to, to go to start his professional career? I I think Philly would be would be great. Like he he would yep. he could he he could be fantastic. He could be to this generation's team what what Bobby Clark was uh, to the you know to the the team that uh, that sure. won the championships back in in the seventies. Uh, I I think that it would be good for the National Hockey League if he ended up there. But I I just don't see how you know they would have to be as I say very very lucky in the draft lottery in order to. Yeah. You know, to, to get him. So um, it's a sad day for, you know, because I like Cliff Fletcher and I like Chuck Fletcher, but I'm sure that Chuck saw that this probably was coming. And uh, so I'm and I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, all the people that uh, that like him in the business, he's probably had 100 texts of uh, condolences uh, and congratulations. And, 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 you know, and then on to the next thing. So is, you know, Danny Briere. 
I think I, I think he should be the, the full-time general manager, and I think he will be down the road, and I think he'll do an excellent job. And then, you know, who do they hire as the president of hockey operations? I wouldn't mind seeing Chris Pronger there, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Chris, Chris yeah. Pronger is one of those guys that has a lot on the ball, way more than people give him credit for. Uh, big personality. Um, I think as the, uh, you know, the sort of the, you know, the Brendan Shanahan of that organization, the Luke Robitaille of that association, the Joe Sackick of that uh, organization. I think a guy like Chris Pronger would, you, you could do a lot worse. You know, Chris Pronger and, and Danny Breer, that would be a very interesting uh, front Danny. office if that's how they end up uh, going. Last one for you this week. Um, and it goes back to a conversation I think we had after the 2013 work stoppage league came back in the next couple of years, you know, stuff started to churn about expansion and, you know, eventually we get to Vegas. Eventually we get to Seattle, but you and I had a long conversation about Toronto mm-hmm. this week. I don't know. The first thing I did was look to make sure I wasn't following Boog McKenzie again on, on Twitter, that it wasn't a fake account. Houston, I get yeah. But the third time's the charm for Atlanta? What do you make of this expansion talk? Well, so it's funny. I, I, and I've i got a piece uh, going next week on this um, okay. uh, in The Athletic. And actually, it's funny because I, the the single most popular story that I've ever done at The Athletic was the thing that we did uh, almost as a make-work project uh, during the period of time that uh, the NHL wasn't playing. And it was, imagine what, where, what, which 32 cities in North America should have NHL franchises if you could just put them in, in the right place. And and so it was an interesting, it was an idea by my editor, Ian Denemy. Fascinating though, because you sort of sit there and, and you think you're going to move everybody around. And I, I think I kept 26 teams in their current location. I moved six others, of course, alienated mm-hmm. six fan bases in, in, in the worst possible way. But I, I did put a second team in Toronto. You know, that's been a soapbox that I've been on since the 80s. Absolutely. Uh, yep. And I, I did put a team back in in Quebec City um, for all of the reasons that you know you know not just because some of my favorite restaurants in, on the on the tour were in Quebec City, but because because Quebec City would be like like Winnipeg, the the, the passion of the fan base there. And and I I believe even though Gary Bettman disagrees with me that that you can have your NHL equivalent to Green Bay in, in, in the major sport. And it doesn't always just have to be about the geographic footprint. So I'm, I'm with you. I think Houston is, is, is easy. I think that Houston has always been the fallback. If, if Arizona falters, if, 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 uh, if it sounds as if Arizona is going to go forward uh, because once they get the, if, if they get the building approved, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it will be a slow painstaking process, but at some point shovels in the ground, infrastructure, new building, you know, money coming in, you know, the draft choices that they've accumulated, hopefully they'll start to have a competitive team. And, and you know, you and I both know that in when the team operated in downtown Phoenix out of the arena that they shared with the, with the basketball team, it was a good franchise. I, so I th- I'm not as opposed to that market as a lot of people are. So Houston, yes, the 33rd team somewhere down the road, the 34th team, I'm with you. You know, uh, I mean, we're lucky, the people in Calgary are lucky because Atlanta, when Atlanta failed the first time, that's how Calgary got the flames and people in Winnipeg are lucky because when Atlanta failed the, the second time, that's how they ended up in, 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 in Winnipeg. Possibly that if Atlanta comes in and fails a third time, then there will be a team in Quebec, Quebec. in Quebec. That, yeah. That's how you get Quebec. Maybe that's, maybe that's the long-term plan. I don't know, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think in terms of, of American markets, uh, certainly 
Kansas City would be a good uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, team to you know to pair with St. Louis in the same way that Houston would would create a rivalry with uh, with Dallas. So yeah, those are those will be the the teams that I'll I'll kick around. But here, let me ask you a question. Since uh, yeah, uh, sure. I I'm I'm going to come up with six or seven names. And how would you feel about Halifax, Nova Scotia as an NHL franchise? I just watched the way that community responded to the world juniors. I mean, they remind me a lot of what you see in, in Calgary and Edmonton. You've got great fans in, 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 in these, in these, in these provinces. And I, I think Halifax would be a really good NHL city. I, I think, you know, if, if you ever get to 40, you should be looking at Quebec city and Halifax as far as well, I'm concerned. And, and I, you might not have this off the top of your head. What's their drawing for an hour or within an hour? Are they, Seven hundred. I don't 000? know. Yeah, uh, uh, but but it, you know, it, it would it, the thing that it, to me it, it's the difference between having seven hundred thousand people or a million people or whatever that care about the sport, or you're in a community where there's five million people and and less than one percent care about the sport. That that is essentially the the, the only thing for me, and I think it's long been the argument about Quebec City is that you know the companies that will support you know a, a, a Quebecois franchise are in Montreal. Not necessarily in Quebec City. In Halifax, do they have, you know, big shipping companies and things like that that could, you know, could be the front end sponsors and the title sponsors and things like that? Well, because if, if you had that, man, I, I think it'd be a slam dunk. I think it would. Yeah. And I wouldn't build the arena too big. I'd build the arena 15,000. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, the, the, obviously the financial part of the equation would be would be the thing that that you know, that the commissioner and, and the board of governors and, and the people that make those decisions would, would say no to. But again, how, how often has the National Hockey League gone into a, a market which is completely, you know, untested and, and succeeded, you know, and sometimes it has, you know, look at Nashville. It took a little while, uh, yep. David Poyle, yep. but David Poyle, when, when he was stepping down, reminded mm-hmm. people that that franchise almost went uh, to Hamilton, that it wasn't, right. a, you know, a slam dunk, sure thing, right off off the bat and most expansion franchises did well in the beginning when they were a novelty item but but you know after you know the the panthers moved out of the downtown miami arena and after the you know the excitement of all of those rats being thrown on the ice that was a franchise that has just been drawing on revenue sharing for a long long period of time and you know and you know arizona we don't even have to get into all of the issues that they've had so um to me you know, if you have a solid base of of hockey fans and people that care about the sport, then then it can it, it can be done. Look at Winnipeg. You know, when when Atlanta moved to Winnipeg, Gary Bettman stood there and said, "Okay, you know, you want it, but you better support it." And and I I, I have to say, if you looked at the body language when he was making the announcement, it's it's it was the 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 body language said to me, "Okay, you know, prove it. Prove to me that you can do this." And and. You know the the support has been tremendous, and and it doesn't seem to be wavering or lagging. I, you know, so I would say that you know expansion. You know, the Gary Bettman playbook is is simple. You know, we you mm-hmm. know acknowledge expressions of interest. Uh, no plans for expansion in the immediate future. So they're leaving the door ajar, and eventually, I think the the lure of expansion fees. I mean, you know, Vegas was five hundred. Uh, a million. Uh, Seattle six fifty. What will the next one be? 
will they just go right past 750 and go straight to a million? You know, I mean, who knows? They could, they could potentially ask for some enormous, you know, sum well, of money and potentially even get it. So there's a lot of people that feel like the price tag on Ottawa could get to a billion, yeah. which is mind numbing to me. Right. Yeah. But yeah. you know, it's, it's craziness. Um, so good to talk to you again. So excited you're going to be part of this adventure with us. Uh, should mention that your Friday column is out now on The Athletic, right? You bet. Yeah. Okay. I think a lot of what I just said about uh, Chuck Fletcher, I might have written about earlier today. So <laughs> oh, we'll read it fresh. Um, yeah. As always, my friend, appreciate this. Look forward to getting you back on in a couple of weeks. Eric, thank you. Okay. My pleasure. Yeah. Eric Dehatchik, everybody. He is going to join us every two weeks, our NHL insider. Joining us today in the Oodle Noodle studio. We're not just crazy about noodles. We put the same energy back into the community. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North and Airdrie. Pickup and delivery, both locations. All right, final mile. Um, just one thing. Well, there's lots on my mind, but one thing I do want to make uh, mention tomorrow afternoon, uh, the Calgary Hitmen will honor their namesake, Bret Hart. They will... Uh, raise a banner forever a hitman uh to the uh the rafters he is the hitman well brett hitman but you know what i'm saying um i'm really excited about this third year in a row or third time in a row uh that they've honored brett uh you can get tickets uh you can help out the calgary prostate cancer center uh you can buy the jersey and a little bit of that's going to go back to the calgary prostate cancer center which brett is a spokesperson from and obviously um you know, prostate cancer is a huge issue for Brett as a survivor, and it's a, it's plagued his family. And all of us men at this age have to be aware of it. Um, like the white jersey, uh, the pink's my favorite, but the whole intent all along was to do a home away in a third jersey. And um, I think it would make a great set of jerseys for a team to adopt full time, but that's just me and I don't get a vote. Um, but also do want to tip my hat to Dungeon Wrestling, who's going to put on a three-card uh, or three-match card immediately following the game, including Harry Smith, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, Mo Jabari, my, uh, I still owe Mo, uh, but really good talent on that card. And uh, congratulations to Brent Gibbs and to Amy Bontorin from the Hitman and, uh, well, Gibby's Retail, but they've done a lot of work there. Uh, a fitting, fitting tribute to a man that has done so much for our city, so much for that hockey club. Uh, I encourage everybody to get into the dome and fill it up and, and uh, give it up for the hitman uh, tomorrow, the hitman, while the hitmen play. Uh, thanks to you. This has been a fun week, if not challenging at times. Uh, we went uh, got a little dark at times, but I think we also got into some pretty cool places. Jason Ribeiro from The Surge. I'm excited about what uh, that's going to bring to our city. Always great to talk to Eric DeHatchuk. want to thank our outstanding producer, Mark Prince, for doing an outstanding job all week long. Uh, I will be with Ryan on Sunday night on Afterburner, and we're back with you on Monday next week. Mike Board, general manager of the Roughnecks, Ryan Pike, our uh, Flames Insider. Wednesday, Cheryl Bernard is going to join us. Yes, that Cheryl Bernard, curling Cheryl, Ber Cheryl Bernard, uh, Hall of Famer Cheryl Bernard. But she's also got a, a new gig here in Calgary we're going to talk about. And Trent McClellan, big Calgary Flames fan, on this hour has 22 minutes on CBC, currently touring the country with the Dirt, Kid, Dirt Road Kid Tour, uh, where he's headlining uh, all kinds of uh, big theaters all across our country. Very, very funny man is going to join us. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you once again for stopping by and saying hello. We'll see you soon.